0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy.
1: Fall Guy. That's what the poster said.
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to
1: make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Cause I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read did PG-13.
0: Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill, good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 years minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line. 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in New York City. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. Oh. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 185 of the Big Show, some Enforcer Based Podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I was already doing out there. Hump day Wednesday, middle of the work week. Got a special guest for you guys today. Doug the Thug Smith. Uh, of course, uh, immortalized in the movie Goon as Doug Glatt. And, uh, tremendous. I know, uh, you know, you'll fight fans. Everybody knows Doug Smith, of course, from the, from his book Goon. And, uh, yeah, and I and I know he's done a million interviews and stuff, but I think uh I think you guys will dig this one. It's this a little different. Um obviously we talk about the movie and the Bilois fight and the things that all, you know, the usual talking points, but I think with this one I I tried to do something a little different. We went really in depth with his East Coast League career and uh and just talked about his time with the uh Providence Bruins and fighting with the teaching guys as a fight coach and, and I, I don't know, I just I really dig the interview. It went really well. I've no I've talked to Doug for a million years on on uh, on the internet and like back in the old fight site days him and the uh, author adam and uh yeah and it, it was just a real fun talk and uh i want to thank doug again for taking the time out to talk to me and uh yeah definitely hopefully have him on again for sure and uh yeah and i think you guys will dig it um of course i am on vacation right now you're listening to this thank you to the power of scheduling uh or pre like i have set this up so as you're listening to this I'm wandering around a casino somewhere either getting hammered or probably hung over and hopefully winning money but you never know uh, you know how Vegas goes up and down but uh, yeah so uh, I am gonna I'm actually recording this about probably about 10 hours before we take off so uh, I'm gonna make this quick because I have to get this uploaded and, and out the door so uh, I will I will say this I'm a member of the hockey podcast network. there's over 50 shows in the network. All the NHL teams are represented, so whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Uh, of course, for my off network friends, of course, while they have their own network, uh, six pack coverage, five for fighting podcast with Alec and Salem, and of course, he also has the Five for Fighting YouTube channel that I recommend you check out. And it has lots of East Coast like fights. No, we can't say that too loud. It's, you know, we don't want people in the in the in the office hearing that. But uh, subscribe to his channel. Let's get him to a thousand subscribers. And uh that way we can he can monetize it and uh, get get rolling. But uh he has a tremendous uh podcast as well, and he has a great back catalog by Lois, um Yablonsky, Rob Bray, on and on. Uh he does a great job. Uh busy at work right now and everything else, but uh he'll be back at it here shortly and uh definitely give his show a listen as well as Broadway Joe Lazito, give it Lazito out in New York home, Madison Square Garden world's most famous arena. Joe's in charge. He's, uh you need tickets, you get down to that box office, you ask for Joe Lozito, he'll hook you up. But he runs an Islander Enforcer podcast. I know, strange. He's got his feet in both worlds, folks. Coliseum Chronicles, uh, tremendous. Again, Vakoda, uh Matt Carkner, Bolton, Gillies. He's interviewed them all, and he does a great job. Joe's been around. He knows the game, and uh definitely give him a listen. And, uh, that's it. There, there we go, folks. That's the fastest uh, intro that I've I've done because I got shit to do. I got to pack and uh, get things rolling. But I didn't want to leave you guys hanging. So uh, this was a gr- this was a great interview with Doug. I really appreciate again him taking the time to uh, sit down and, and and talk to me. And uh, I, and I think you guys will really dig it. Like I said, it's it's two hours and uh, we go really in depth. And I think it's it's probably. I, I think it's like I've listened to a bunch and I think it's it's easily the most in-depth Doug Smith interview that's been done. So um, I think you guys will dig it. So and uh, but yeah, I got to go gamble. So, you know, I got to take I got to go take advantage of uh, uh, cheap steak, after, steak and eggs after midnight and uh, hopefully we'll pay it with some uh, poker winning. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, I am not back for a while here, folks, but I have you covered. Sunday, I will have another episode for you, and uh, check it out. But uh, also, 4th Line Voice, if you happen to be on social media, Twitter and Facebook, I'm on there, 4th Line Voice, uh, as well as YouTube. I have over 2,700 fights on my YouTube channel. Again, 4th Line Voice, it's Echo, <laughs> all, the leagues are, all the leagues are there, OHL, NHL, MOUSE, it's all there, type it in. Boom, even got some Doug Smith stuff, so check it out. But uh yeah, subscribe to the channel. Uh Whatever platform you're listening to this on, if you could rate and review my show, I would greatly appreciate it as it helps me out in the searches. Um, and also, if you were listening to this, could you download my episodes? I know I ask so much. It sounds so corny when I say it, but really, that's how I get, I honestly, that's how I get paid is by the download. So help Darren out, because after this Vegas trip, I might need all the downloads I can get. So download it twice if you have to, but uh, I, I would really appreciate it. But I'll shut up. I got, I got stuff to do, but uh, here you guys enjoy. This is my talk with Doug, the thug, Smith. Thanks guys. Talk to you on Sunday. All right, here on the fourth line voice, special guest. The Thug, Doug Smith. Doug, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Darren. How are you? Very good. Hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on tonight. Well, the same to you. I appreciate you having me on your show. Well, um, well you were just saying before we got going, uh, Doug, the Thug's a little laid
1: up. You're a little injured. You're, what what happened down there? Yeah, I'm falling apart. I'm getting old, and my, uh, my days of playing even fun recreational hockey may be coming to an end a a couple of weeks ago i was playing in a charity hockey game a fundraiser and got tripped up and 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 fell to the ice and and landed on my elbow and and i tore my tricep off the elbow and had to have surgery so i'm kind of in a sling and i'm i'm going to be uh out of work and and laid up for the next couple of months with this injury so yeah it's not like the old days where you just bounce back no, a cup of beer after and you're back at it the next day.
0: But, uh, doesn't <laughs> right.
1: work.
0: Doesn't work like that anymore. Well, look at that. I'm taking advantage of the cripple here, but, uh, all right. Well, I got you. In a, I got you here. So, uh, well, like I said, uh, before we got going, I know you've done like a million interviews and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, of course, we'll get to the movie and the book and everything. But, uh, I, I want to kind of dive into like, um, your, your actual, the, the hockey career and, and the different, uh, the, the journey that you took, um, I guess we'll start at the beginning. I know you were a boxer and and, and grew up in uh, in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I grew up on the salt Shore area of uh, Massachusetts, just uh, about 20 miles from Boston. And, um, you know, I had a regular childhood growing up. You know, I, I went to a public school and, you know, I, I played a handful of sports, but hockey wasn't one of them. And uh, all my friends did play hockey. Uh, some played high school, some played college, you know, some were decent. And um, and and one of my best friends that I grew up with in my neighborhood, Adam Frittazio, he he did play high school. He was a captain. And he did play college, where he was also a captain. And, and, you know, for myself, from the age of about 14 to my early 20s, I was an amateur boxer. And I had boxed in a lot of our local tournaments around here, the New England Golden Gloves and and so on. And, And Adam was a hockey fight fanatic because in the mid to late 70s and into the 80s, as we know, hockey fighting was huge, especially, you know, in the minor leagues, the NHL, every team had a wagon of tough guys. Adam always had this crazy idea that, if Doug could ever learn how to skate and keep his balance—not not so much play hockey, but just keep his balance where he could incorporate his boxing skills that he's been working and de- developing for the last seven, eight, nine years, Doug could be like a minor league goon. And it was like a joke for a number of years. And then, um, you know, I graduated high school when I was 18, and. Just kind of twiddled around doing nothing for the first year or so. I didn't go right into college or anything. I just kind of worked some odd jobs and you know the, the winter I was about to turn uh, twenty years old, I finally got a pair of skates, and I went out in the ice, saw local ponds that we had had frozen over, and I just wanted to skate with the boys and um, you know for whatever reason, probably I was I was somewhat athletic. I was able to pick up skating pretty good. Like I was able to keep my balance a lot better than I thought I was going to be. And, um, <clears throat> at that time I was probably six foot two, 250, 255 pounds. I was a pretty good sized kid. I worked out a lot at the gym. I was a power lifter and a boxer. So I always figured my balance would suck on the ice. Cause I was top heavy. I was big and kind of muscular. But uh, Adam saw it as an opportunity for him to step in. And we started to play around and and drop the gloves and and tug and pull at each other. And, you know, to fast forward the story a little bit, it was only a couple of years later, I really accelerated my ability to keep my balance and and learn the game a little bit. And um, some doors were open for me. Well,
0: yeah, and like you said, you throw out the name Adam. I hope Adam's listed. I hope he's doing well. Uh, many years ago, when he was uh, he was on the me- on the. I remember Adam from the old fight message boards, and uh, and he was telling me about this book that he has an idea for about his friend Doug. And you got to see the videotape, and he sent me the videotape, and we saw all your exploits. And uh, yeah, my friends and I were just like, "Look at this guy, right?" But uh, so I knew all about you before the book and everything came out. And but uh, yeah, and I know Adam was a big fight guy because I know. Him and I, uh, you know, we traded v- – look at us dating ourselves here. I know we traded VHS tapes for the for the younger folks out there. But uh, – and I know Adam was a big hockey fight guy. Were you – I mean, uh, you said you didn't play hockey. But obviously, like, were you watching the fight tapes with Adam? I would assume you were, and getting into them and stuff.
1: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I was watching those hockey fight tapes from, like, eighth and ninth grade. Yeah. Never mind when I was 20 years old. I mean, it was just something that we did all the time. We – we would, we would hang around the house on a Friday, Saturday night. We, we weren't the type of kids that went to house parties. We weren't drinkers. You know, we weren't potiers. We were athletes. You know, we, we'd go to the gym and work out and then we'd go get a big meal somewhere and have a, have dinner and, um, you know, protein shakes and eggs and all that shit. Yeah. And then we spend the rest of the night, we'd spend the rest of the night at someone's house and we'd pop in, you know, a two hour video and watch, you know, some fights that took place maybe the year before or we'd sit and just watch a game we'd watch the bruins especially maybe if they're playing the flyers or the or the rangers the Islanders like another tough team so we watched a lot of hockey specifically for hockey fighting
0: yeah well so okay we fast forward here and you're kind of getting into the skating thing and now adam's sort of like okay we're going to teach you how to skate a little bit and it's almost like you're his you're his Terminator. He's going to send you out into these leagues to try it out. Like, when did you like, so do you basically you're, you're I would assume you're going out and playing in like rec leagues
1: and just like, yeah, I, had, I, yep. I had tried to join a couple of just local rec leagues just to learn skating and, 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 you know, get my feet under me, so to speak. Um, And there were leagues where there was, it was no check. There was no fighting. and, Every once in a while, I was just an asshole and would try to instigate a fight with someone. And sometimes I would get a fight, and most times they would get broken up, and people would tell me, stop being a jerk, and, you know, we're not here for that. And, you know, it's 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night. We all have to work in the morning. You know, we're not here to fight. But I kind of had a little different angle because I – wasn't only there to work on my skating skills, but I was, I wanted to drop the gloves and and try my hand at going toe to toe with someone. But again, those guys and those rec leagues weren't the caliber of player I needed for that type of development. Well, exact. Well, yeah, I could <laughs> I could just see these guys
0: playing rec league, and then you're out there trying to start. You'd be like, what? Who is this guy? Um, did it, did you ever? Did it ever lead to, uh, well, because I know before we got going, I was talking about the videotapes that I got from Adam, and one of those famous on the tape that I played for everybody that we laughed was, I think Adam wrote down Midnight Game or something, and it ended up in a big line brawl, and somebody, the rink guy didn't know what to do, so he pulled the fire alarm. And I know you got into a fight with a guy and some other guy's throwing head butts and everything. Um, was that before or after you had Turn pro. I think that was after. Now that I think about it, that brawl.
1: Well, actually, actually, it was it was really long before I had. It was a maybe a full year before I got my first tryout in in a pro camp. Okay. And um, yeah, it was like it was just your routine Friday night midnight rental with a whole bunch of guys that show up, and you know you might know a couple, and you might not know a couple. It's just kind of like open ice, so to speak, and. Well, hey, maybe some guys have had a few beers, and they're a little fucking ballsy, and, you know, a, a no-check league turns into a little bumping here and there, and then someone gets pissed off, and, yeah, it was like a powder keg all of a sudden. At some point during the game, a fight broke out, and then the benches cleared, and I ended up – you know, we had a buddy of ours who always went to the games with a VHS camera, and he would record the games just in case. And sure enough, this was one of those games that – you know, I ended up having a couple of fights within, like, a three-minute span. I fought one guy and <clears throat> caught him with a couple of nice punches, and then some other guy jumped on me trying to, you know, take his shot at me. And so it was wild. And like you said, you got to see that tape. It was crazy. Yeah, it was. And, uh, and, and again, and again, like you said, the owner of the rink, he came out onto the ice trying to break it up, but it was such mayhem in, in your typical bench-clearing brawl. He couldn't stop it, so he ended up pulling the fire alarm, and that was how the all the fights got broken up, because next thing you know, police and firemen are coming into the rink wondering what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, this
0: is like what, probably late 80s, right? So it's like, I, you know, it, it's probably fortunate it was the late 80s. I couldn't imagine if that happened now. Oh, my God. The lawsuits and yeah. everything else. Yeah.
1: Oh God, yeah, yeah, you'd be sued, no, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, I, I think you, you, you were, you were trying to perform this. I think in the right era, we'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, uh, well, I know what uh, kind of what when you finally got into uh, it was the summer leagues, correct? Where you kind of finally got in with the pro pro guys and could actually get a shot at a legit
1: guy, so to speak. Yep, Um, you know, going from those rec leagues, I was able to get a decent enough, uh, game going, so to speak, where I could, you know, I, I could keep up. I wasn't like a, I certainly was no burner on the ice. I wasn't carrying the puck end to end or nothing like that. But I was, you know, I, I was respectable on the ice as far as skating skills go. And, uh, and I wanted to try the next level in, in my area. There was like a summer pro-am league where pros, and amateurs would skate, you know, one night a week during the summer. And and just kind of through friendships of other people, I was able to get a guy who let me play on his team. And um, every game I played against somebody who was a tough guy, a noted tough guy. There were guys like Jay Miller, Lyndon Byers, Chris Nyland, Nick Fatillo. I mean, you know, it, the list goes on and on. There were a lot of tough guys who played in the summer league, and uh, and again, this was located right in my area, south of Boston. And I figured this was going to be my chance to get noticed. I could possibly fight somebody, and a scout might see me, or a coach might see me, and maybe I could get a tryout somewhere. And uh, and and I did try to fight guys. I did try to fight Lyndon Byers, and I remember trying to fight a couple other tough guys. And um, I really only got one legitimate fight where. It was a, you know, drop your glove, square off um, with a kid that played in the minor leagues at the time. He was from my area. His name was Billy Whitfield. I always give him credit because uh, he was kind of someone that opened the door a little bit for me. And and, uh, even though I lost that fight and he beat me, um, it was still noticed, like I said, by a scout. And the scout ended up grabbing me out in the parking lot after the game and said, listen, you know, I've been watching you here for the last three or four weeks, and, um, you know, what are you looking to do? And I told him, I said, listen, I'm brand new at hockey. I just started skating like two years ago, and I'm looking to be a minor league tough guy if it's possible. I, I want to fight. And this scout who uh, actually was a scout for the Buffalo Sabres made some phone calls and got me down to the East Coast Hockey League.
0: Well, yeah, well, here we go. Let's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. It's 1988-89. Uh, uh, you go down with the Carolina Thunderbirds. And it's actually the first year of the East Coast Hockey League. It's a five-team league. And, uh, yeah, so when you get down there, um, so you're now trying out with, like, guys that played, you know, from around the North America, but they're, like, they all play junior and everything else. And, and then you show up. Um, how was that initial... Like it had to have been a bit of a culture shock for you.
1: Well, the skating alone, just the drills that we went through for the first couple of days were overwhelming to me because I mean, you know, you you've, you're talking about a guy who just learned to skate two years ago, almost three. Now it, it will, will make it almost three years from when I started to now, to when I went to that Carolina camp, I was about 23 years old and maybe 24. And, um, you know so you're talking about a, a recreational skater who's trying to do pro drills and um so i mean adam went to a camp uh, i think the second day in he drove down he missed the first day of camp but he he drove down from boston to virginia the caroliners uh, winston salem thunderbirds coliseum ice wasn't ready so we shared ice with the virginia lancers and you know they'd have it in the morning, and then we'd have it in the afternoon type of thing. And Adam showed up the second day, and uh, we did it on VHS tape, like sprints and and laps around the rink where goalies in full equipment were beating me. <laughs> so it was it was pretty humbling, but um, but I knew the whole time that I wasn't there to be a hockey player, <clears throat> and uh, and I had my eye on two kids that were big kids. They both played last year in the old Atlantic Coast Hockey League, which, like you said, had now changed to the East Coast Hockey League. And in fact, one kid also got some time up in Hershey in the American League, and they were both tough guys. So I knew those were my targets, and I made it a point to go after them and fight them during camp, which I did. And those are also on film. But, you know, at the end of camp, four or five days later, uh, the coach was a great guy. His name is Ryan Carroll, and he said, Doug, you know, I mean, I watched you all week, and obviously your skating is very weak, and, and I appreciate what you want to do, but I just can't keep you. You, you got to bring a little bit more than just dropping the gloves, because you, you might find yourself out on a shift once in a while, and I, you know, it's almost like I'm a liability out there. So I got released. I got cut from camp. <clears throat> and um, just to keep the story going real quick, he called me back like a month later maybe six weeks later, and said, listen, those two guys that I kept that were supposed to be tough guys, well, they've gotten their asses handed to them by all the other tough guys in the league. And one guy quit, and the other guy basically told me he doesn't want to fight anymore. So are you still willing to do that job? And I said, of course I am. And I was literally on a flight that night, and I I joined the team like maybe 15 games in. And stay the rest of the year.
0: Well, and, what, and like what a wild year, right? I mean, uh, you end up playing twenty eight games, one hundred and seventy nine penalty minutes. Um, you guys end up winning the league championship. I think you had. I'm looking at Hockey DB. I think you went through four head coaches.
1: It has listed here because um, you guys kind of. Yeah, there, there was some there was there was some serious issues with that team as far as coaching goes. I mean, the head coach, like I said, Hawaii met during training camp. He was a former player. And um, I think he just quit outright, like about 20 games into the season, because the league was kind of a gong show. I mean, every team had four or five tough guys, and it was a lot of fighting. I mean, you're talking about five teams in the league. I think we played each team like 12 to 15 times. And um, it got ugly every night. It was crazy. And, uh, and my team, when I finally arrived, it was just me and another guy named Michelle Lanawette, who was a real tough Canadian player, played some games, I believe, in the American League. And uh, it was just us two. And we did a lot of fighting the first couple of games. And then um, – we got a new kid, a rookie, who was a rookie like me, um, a kid from Canada. His name was Billy Heward. And Billy Heward joined our club and added, like, uh, you know, a significant amount of muscle when it came to being a tough guy and a fighter because no one knew Billy, of course. Like I said, he was a rookie, but he was probably six two, two 220 pounds. He could really throw them with both hands solid chin could really take a punch and could play the game. Like he turned out to be like a first line winger and could put the puck in the net and kick your ass. And so um, our team ended up doing really well. I mean, and and trust me when I tell you this league, um, I was completely over my head when it came to toughness because there were some real respectable tough guys in that league who played in both the IHL and the AHL, and um, and trust me, I had my hands full every night.
0: Oh well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into some of those names here right away. Um, before before we do that, so well, like you said, you get down there, you're in, uh, you know, Winston Salem. It's a bit of a, I mean, obviously coming from Boston. With a little, we're you know a little bit of a different culture shock here, but like you said, they got Erie, Johnstown, Knoxville, and Virginia are the other teams in the league. Um, so when you're sitting on the bus and you're traveling to these rinks, um, what's the atmosphere like in these rinks? And like, what was the what was the craziest town to play in?
1: Well, I mean, our town for an example, Winston Salem. I mean, I mean, you're right. I came from a city, so to speak, and and I'm now I'm down in like redneck redneck, hillbilly land, and, 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 and believe me when I tell you, um, most of these fans could give two shits if their team won the game or not. If they didn't get to see a fight, they were pissed off, and they felt like they got jipped out of their $5 ticket that they just bought. Yeah. So, um, yeah, believe me, fighting was a big, big money maker in these um, towns that we traveled to, and they were all the same. I mean, Johnstown obviously was notorious for the movie Slap Shot, and you know they obviously housed three or four tough guys themselves, and every team was tough. So yeah, you know you, you would travel anywhere from eight to fourteen hours on a real shit can bus, so to speak. That you know was just a horror show. The our bus sucked so bad it broke down constantly on the highway, and uh, it was a nightmare. But it was fun. Like, for me, it was fun. You know, you'd play cards with the guys, and everyone would tell stories. And, you know, the bus had a VCR, so we'd watch movies. Of course, we watched Slap Shot a thousand times. And, um, but yeah, when you got to those rinks, let me tell you something, it was like kill or be killed because they were trying to hurt you. No two ways about it.
0: Did you ever have any crowd
1: interaction? Uh, you know, not really. I mean, the crowd. I would say, for the most part, even if you were the visiting team, you know, they would boo you. I mean, they want their guy to kick your ass. But I think they respected you if you dropped your gloves and squared off with their guy and win or lose. I mean, they got to see a fight. So I think you know, I think guys that dropped their gloves were more of a fan favorite than the goal scorers in that league, anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um Yeah, well, like you said, so <laughs> now so you're sitting on the bus and you're talking to the guys, and like I said, all all the guys that are on your team, uh, Bill Hewart, for example, or whatever, he played in the OHL and these guys all played either major, junior, or junior A or you know, or they came out of college or whatever. Now they're looking at you. Did you ever feel any um resentment's not the right word? But did you did they ever
1: kind of like, dude, what are you doing? Like Come on, yeah. I mean, I know where you're getting that. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I I think guys for the most part never said, "What the fuck are you doing here? Like, you suck. You fuck up every drill we have in the morning. You're terrible." No one ever said that to me. It was completely the opposite. I think guys respected me more because of the length of time I've been playing hockey, which was three years. My resume was zero. I came from nowhere, a pond. I skated on a pond. Yet, I'm going to drop my gloves, and I'm going to fight every guy on the other team that you don't want to fight. I'm going to fight the guy that tries to run you through the boards. I'm going to fight that guy that just speared you in the balls because no one else wants that job, but I'm going to do it. So I, I think to answer your question, I was welcomed with open arms because, again, let's face it, it's a job that a lot of guys don't want, and I anxiously wanted that job. I loved it.
0: Yeah. No. Okay. And uh, well, I was going to say when when you're so now you're going around the league, and like you said, well, well, before we get into the other guys that you would fight, um, what what was the biggest uh, in terms of uh, when when now you're you're finally at that level, you're fight you're fighting professional fighters, you're not fighting the guys in the rec league anymore, or whatever you know, or the midnight games. These guys are legit. Um, what was the big? what was the hardest part for you? What was the, the, would it be the balance? Would that be just the toughest part?
1: Yeah. For me personally, it was never the fighting itself. I was never scared to drop my gloves because I had a fighting background. I, I was a boxer and I knew how to fight. It was all about balance, like a hundred percent about balance. I was always scared and nervous that I was going to lose my balance and fall down and anyone who's skated before in the past, your listeners, your, your fans that are, are involved with your, um, your, your podcast and, and whatnot, um, everyone knows how easy it is to lose your balance skating. Never mind having someone grabbing your jersey and jerking you and tugging at you. And, you know, it's tough to keep your balance. So that was my biggest fear. And, um, you know, for me, the fighting, I hate to say it, was almost easy in comparison yeah, it's interesting. Like, I've had this conversation with a lot of guys, and I know when
0: they first started fighting, I mean, for most of these guys, obviously, the guys that I've had on my show, the McIntyres and the Morastis and the Tedarenkos and guys like that, I mean, obviously, their first fights were in junior. Um, so, you know, you're either 16 when you first do it, and 17, and you slowly kind of develop into the role. Um, so, um, and I know for them, I, I, one of the questions I was asking was when they're fighting... At first they're like, you're, you sort of just freak out and you spaz and you're just, ah, and you're swinging and whatever. And you don't really remember anything. But it, it's over time, everything slows down and you start figuring out what you want to do. And it's, it's, it starts to become like a second nature type of thing. I would assume as a boxer, like you said, you already probably had that. Like when you got into these fights initially with these guys, was it already sort of slowed down for you in terms of,
1: you know what I'm getting at? I know exactly where you're getting at, and, and your point is made 100% because as crazy as it is to say this, I was a 100% already in that mindset. Yeah. No matter who I fought, whether it was the very first night on my very first game or the last fight I had, I was always calm, cool, and collected because of my background in fighting. And even if I lost the fights, and believe me, I lost plenty of fights, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you can't expect to come from a pond and fight guys who have pro experience at this for years and years. And, um, you know, again, I always was calm. I was always within myself. I never flipped out. I never fought out of anger. Um, and I, I think that helped me survive a lot of these encounters with guys that really should have buried me and i had probably should have been carried off the ice in some of these fights but i survived because i didn't lose my wits
0: yeah well it was interesting when you talk about balance it, it takes me back to when i had um a for, former lnh uh laval chief uh, curtis swanson swanee i know you're listening uh swanee um young guy you know skating wasn't the strongest suit But he always said, like, that was his biggest battle, was balance. And he goes, it wasn't getting hit or throwing the punches. That was whatever, but it was the balance part. And he would say when he was in the fight, he'd almost basically use the other guy as a crutch, almost, and, like, lean on him. Did you find that you were doing that? Uh, You know what?
1: I did the opposite. I didn't want... Yep, I would have... If I could have, I would have simply squared off with everyone and tried to keep them at a distance almost like a boxer would because that's what I'm used to. And once I get my stance and I get my posture, when I grab a guy and he grabs me and he's trying to pull me off balance, that fucks me up. So for me, the less grabbing was better for me. So you gotta kind of have like this fatigue vibe going a little bit. Yeah, because I had learned how to throw punches on my skates without grabbing. You know, when I was working out with Adam, we used to have, like, I used to have a heavy bag, a puncher's heavy bag from the gym that we would bring out onto the ice, and I wouldn't hold onto that bag. I would stand back and throw punches like a boxer would, except I'm on skates. So I I learned that way, and I didn't want to have to depend on – you know, like you said, the other dude was doing kind of le- leaning on the guy to keep upright. Yeah. Did um. So when you were
0: like square, I mean, obviously, most of the fight, you know, whatever you you're into it right away. But when you, I always like to ask these guys kind of this this technical breakdown of the fighting. I always kind of uh, kind of get a kick out of this. But like when you when you were squaring off with someone, did you did you prefer for them to come to you, or did you want to go to them? Like, there's that you know that line
1: in the sand, right? When you are the gloves.
0: What did you prefer?
1: Well, Yeah, I think just through boxing and years of boxing, I had developed to be a counter-puncher, meaning that I would counter you. I would wait yeah. for you to make your move. And I would just kind of slip a little bit one way, slip to the right, slip to the right, slip to the left, slip to the left, or duck, and then try to come over the top or, or whatnot. And um, hockey fighting is different, of course, than boxing. We all get that. You know, it's just simply grab the jersey and let the machine gun rip. And and we all get that. But, you know, getting that first shot in, if the guy misses and I slip it, it throws him off balance a little bit. And if I can get going immediately from that, maybe I get the upper leg. So I always preferred. And sometimes it backfired. I mean, you know, I got caught a couple of times letting the guy throw the first one. And, you know, I've been dazed a few times, and it threw me off my game. But for the most part, I was, uh, again, patient, and I was a counterpuncher. Did you, like, it was, it's
0: interesting, I, I don't, I've never actually looked into this, but as I was, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about it. I know nowadays when you watch the fight, it's, it seems like there's a lot of like, the whole jersey jab thing, and I'm trying to think back of when that really sort of became in vogue. I don't really remember it in, I mean, I guess people were doing it, but I don't really remember it as much in the, you know, 70s and 80s and 90s. I don't, like, I don't remember Probert or Twist or, you know, these guys doing like, specific kind of jersey jabs like they seem like it's sort of like a tactic now did you ever like yeah it would sort of be like a
1: boxing jab so to speak did you ever sort of get into that i never did it because i always seemed to fight guys that were longer and taller than me so for me to grab their front of their jersey I, i would lose on arm length and and reach yeah and that's not a good position to be in You know, when you're fighting guys that are 6'5", 6'6", they're going to be able to tee off on you, and I'm not going to eat shots if I don't have to. So I always was the type of fighter that tried to lock the guy down immediately. Like, I would try to grab each bicep, not the front of the jersey, not the top of the shoulder pads, the bicep, where I would try to at least, you know, keep him from getting full swings at me. I mean, I, I, I might still get hit, but just not full blast. Yeah. um, You kind of want to grab the You want to shorten them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, for sure. So the front of the jersey thing probably came in in the mid 2000s, you know, 2010, maybe give or take, where the taller guys really made that work for them because they were keeping the short guys or shorter, shorter reach guys away from them, basically keeping their hand right in the front of the jersey and maybe like right at their throat. And if that guy's got the longer arms and he's going to tee off and nail you, you can't do anything about it. You might try to pull him in and tie him up. But if he's got you straight armed, you're not breaking through that straight arm. No.
0: Well, this is a, I, I find this fascinating, this talk, this breakdown. Um. Well, we'll get into the training of the fighting a little bit later. I know you did a lot of that too. Well, I, cause I have some other questions I want to ask you. But um, getting back to the, uh, to the East Coast League here, um, well, like I said, some of the guys like we were talking about in that league, you had some killers running around, and uh, just kind of looking at the rosters in Erie uh, with the Panthers. Of course, you had uh, well the the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League all time penalty minute leader uh, Grant Ottenbright.
1: Yep, Otto was a big boy. Yep, um, he reminded me a lot of Heward. You know, probably six two, six three, two thirty. Like he was big, he was thick, and, and he could move. He could play, and um, he and I, for whatever reason, he saw me fight a couple of his teammates in in a couple of early games when I first made it to the league. Um, I fought Darren Mishiak who was with them for a little while. Yep. And I fought Ron Aubrey, who was with them for a little while. And, you know, I did okay against those guys. And I think um, Otto and I had a respect for each other because I knew he was a tough guy. I, you know, talking to my other teammates and, um, you know, I just knew he was a tough kid. And for whatever reason, again, I don't know why, we just had a respect for each other. And you would think two guys like us would go head to head. But for whatever reason, we never did. And uh, neither one of us ever jumped each other or played dirty or cheap towards each other. And, um, Hey, for me personally, I'm okay with that. Cause maybe he would have handed me my lunch.
0: Well, one of the names you just threw out was Ron Aubrey. And he sort of has the same kind of deal as you did. I mean, it seems like, I don't, I don't know much about him. I know he played on a million teams and he bounced around and he fought everywhere, had a ton of penalty minutes on all these different teams. Um, And I know he turned up. He was boxing later after he was done in his forties. I think he was boxing. Um, Do you? And I know you mentioned him in your book. Uh, Do you have any uh, Ron? Because I heard he's quite the character. Do you have any Ron Aubrey stories?
1: Well, you know, let me first preface this by saying that you know we're talking about like thirty something years ago, and things have certainly changed today. So when I tell the story. Um, I don't know if Ron listens to your show here or not, but Ron and I certainly weren't friends. Um, And we both had an understanding that one of us needs to get out of this league and one of us has to climb over the other one to do it. And he and I always butted heads. Um, I would try and fight him every night. And he knew it. He knew I was coming after him every night that we played. And we probably fought each other five or six times that year. And um, he was a big kid. And I did okay, and he did okay. A lot of draws between us. You know, we landed a lot of good shots on each other. No one really had a decisive victory, you know. And um, today, after all these years, I mean, it's water under the bridge. You know, we're friends and we reminisce and we talk about the good old days and how hockey was so good to both of us. And you're right. His resume is fucking ridiculous. He's played everywhere under the sun and let's not, let's not kid each other everywhere. He played, he put up big penalty minutes. He dropped his gloves a lot. He, He was a tough prick.
0: Yep. No, he's a big dude. I know, he, I've, I've seen him on Facebook. It's like, I, I want to get him on the show because I think he'd be, he'd have, now that dude would have stories. I would I would think he'd have some stories anyway.
1: Uh, oh, God, yeah. Like I said, he's been involved from every level. I mean, he's played in the American League, the IHL, the East Coast League. I'm sure he's played in all the the leagues even below the East Coast League. I mean, he's been all over the place. And everywhere he's gone, he's kicked ass. you got to love him. <laughs>
0: did he? Did uh? Yeah. Did you? Did you guys have a fight? Were you at a, a camp? Weren't
1: you? Were you at a trial camp? And you know you, what? And you fought him yeah, in drills. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my first year after playing in Winston Salem, uh, once that summer came along, we had won the championship in the East Coast Hockey League, and uh, you know the season's over. We all come home, and and in my Boston area, <clears throat> there was a camp that a Boston Bruins scout held every summer it was a it was a free agent camp if you weren't property of somebody else if you weren't a draft pick or whatnot and you were a free agent you could go to this camp it was for like a week during the summer like july or august and uh in the mornings you do workouts you know you'd bench press and run and do calisthenics and you do all kinds of shit then you would have some lunch and then in the afternoon you'd hit the ice and you'd scrimmage And there were so many guys in this that there were, like, six full teams and, like, you know, 15 guys per team. Well, I mean, this free agent camp was a big deal. And almost every guy that I fought in the East Coast League months earlier was at this camp. You know, um, Aubrey was there, um, Brock Kelly from Johnstown. Um, I can go on and on. There were a lot of tough guys that showed up at this camp because everyone was a free agent and everyone was trying to get to at least say the American league and get an invite where scouts are attending this camp to watch. And yeah, me and Aubrey, for whatever reason, we ended up being on the same goddamn team. Yeah. We couldn't, we weren't against each other and, um, And we ended up actually being on the same line with each other. We were both wingers on like the third line. And I remember talking to Adam and Adam said, listen, you got to challenge him and fight him during warmups. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's on my fucking team. He says, Adam's like, I don't care. You have to fight him because you have to get noticed. You're not going to get noticed against this team you're playing because they got like all college kids. There's no tough guys out there. You've got to fight Aubrey. I'm like, Oh my God. And so that film you're talking about that VHS tape, I remember talking to Ron saying, Hey, we got to fight each other. And he was like, what are you fucking out of your mind? And I was like, no, I'm serious. What what, neither one of us are going to get out of this camp with a contract playing a team like we're playing in the next 10 minutes. Because they're all college kids. There's no tough guys on that particular team. And I remember kind of giving him a shove with my stick, like I cross-checked him and said, let's go. And he said, all right, fuck you. And we, we dropped the gloves and we squared off. And um, he grabbed me and just whipped me to the ice. I mean, he was so big. He was like fucking trying to wrestle the grizzly bear with the circus. You know, he was just such a big guy. And, um, and when he threw me to the ice, I separated my shoulder. And, um, he threw a few punches and everyone dove in, broke it up. The director of the, uh, free agent camp was like out of his mind. He was like, what the fuck is wrong with you two guys? And, uh, you know, I ended up telling him it's my fault. It's not his fault. It's my fault. You know, I, I want to get noticed. And, you know, I went after him. He and I had fought each other numerous times earlier this year in the East Coast League. And, and the guy said, get the fuck off the ice. You're out of here. And he booted me off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, go back to the East Coast League uh, for a sec. uh, I know in Knoxville there was a couple guys that you had some run-ins with. uh, Greg Batters and
1: uh, Alex Davio. So my first game as a pro hockey player for Winston-Salem in the East Coast Hockey League was against Knoxville. And it was against those two guys. And I remember the first night um i'm going out skating onto the uh warm-up ice and i'm looking at these two guys i got their names i got their numbers and um and batters greg batters was a draft pick i believe from like the la kings and he was actually like a pretty pretty regular looking guy like you know he he didn't look like a tough guy and he was about my height and my weight and my size and had some good skill he could play you could tell just watching him skate he could play But then when I looked at Alex Davio, um, he was totally different. He, His face looked like he had been hit with a sledgehammer about 50 times. Like you could tell, he was a real fighter. And um, I always learned through boxing, my father always taught me, don't judge a book by its cover. And what he would say to me on that aspect was this, You're looking at this guy, and his face looks really mean. He's got scars. His nose is crooked. You know, he might be missing some teeth. He looks tough. He looks intimidating. Just remember something. If he was that tough, he wouldn't look like that. So don't be afraid of those guys. Go right at them because they're punching bags. And so my first shift, I end up going against batters. And I did pretty good. And my second shift in the second period, I went against Davio off the faceoff. And I caught him with a left hand and broke his nose. And believe me when I tell you, there was like a parade down Main Street in Winston-Salem the next day because I was the overnight sensation. The fans loved me. I just beat two guys that have run wild in that rink against them since the season started. And here's this new face who just takes them both out in the same game. So believe me, my first night was historic for me. Well, you're probably thinking this is pretty easy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I felt pretty confident. But believe me when I tell you, it got a lot harder quicker because not only were those two guys just like me, they wanted to go again the next time. And they wanted to go again, again, and again. So every night I fought Davio. I fought Davio more than I fought anybody else in that league. He loved fighting just like me. And um, and like I said, it got tougher because every team had tough guys. Yep. And I know you know all the names, and I had my hands full with some of them, and we'll get to those names. But, um, yeah, it was an incredible league for me as a pawn skater.
0: Yeah, like it's just uh... – yeah, it's just so wild. Like you said, you throw out the names like Brock Kelly and Batters and Davio and, uh, Greg Niche in Virginia and Whitfield's in Virginia again. Um, did, did you, did you ever take any, um, like obviously I haven't seen all of your fights from, from Carolina. Did you ever take a real ass kicking in any of the fights? I think the
1: real only ass kicking I got out of that whole season that I had fights I mean, I probably averaged literally a fight a night, and I had numerous games where I had two fights a night. Um, I was putting up some serious you know, majors. Um, the majority of my penalty minutes weren't from hooking and flashing and tripping because I wasn't playing. I was going out on a stoppage of play. I was going out on a face-off, and I was lining up to guys and challenging them. I was getting five minutes. That's how I got my penalty minutes. I wasn't playing the fucking game because I fucked. But uh, I think my real only defeat was against Brock Kelly. You know, that motherfucker, he was so tall and so long, and he was a legit good fighter. And uh, he didn't deserve to be in that league. I don't know what the deal was with him. I don't know if it was politics or what, but uh, he definitely deserved to be in the next level up as far as the Fighting aspect goes um, because he was tough. He was a really good fighter, and I I respected the guy. And I tried him twice during that year, and I lost both times. Yeah, like well, you said, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, he was down. Yeah, he just
0: in the East Coast League, and he was in Nashville for a couple years, and that was it. And uh... yeah, and he
1: and he should have, you know, he played defense with Johnstown in the East Coast League, and I would have thought someone would have brought him up to the American League or the IHL and just made him a winger just to fight. Um, you know, I don't know if he wanted to actually be a fighter, but, uh, fuck, he was good at it. So, uh, I figured, you know, he shouldn't be here too much longer. And, uh, he, he stayed, I think the majority of his career, he was there.
0: Yeah. Well, like I said, you, uh, you get, you play the 28 games and you got your, you're your taste of minor league hockey and the iron lung and you win a champion, well, first, right from the pond and you're winning a championship and you got the ring and like, this has just got to be, well... Well, obviously, it's I was going to say a storybook, and they did write a storybook about it. But yeah, like after your first year, you just like, I could do anything. Like, what, what, what's next? What are we going to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that year when it was over and I came home, and I, and I uh, that summer I got into that free agent camp, and I, I was balls to the wall. Like, believe me, I wanted to now be a pro hockey player and fight for a living. That's what I wanted and um, I think the bottom line was simply I just started too late. My skating was that far behind at that level that I ended up basically being a rent-a-goon where I couldn't really stick with a team because I wasn't that good of a consistent player, even if for a fourth liner. But teams would bring me in for a game here, three games there, two games here, and, you know, I would just fight as a part-timer, and I learned quickly, you know, it didn't take long to realize that being a pro hockey player really isn't going to happen, but this is going to be second best, and I'm still going to take it. Well, no, absolutely. Well, so the following year, so
0: you do the summer leagues, and uh, well, so did you, go to, did you go to Miramichi first, or did you go to Johnstown first?
1: You know what after after winston salem, um, I actually that following fall, I got a tryout with the Cincinnati Cyclones, okay and I went to their camp and I actually played in two exhibition games. I had like four fights. I did actually pretty good and um and I remember the coach saying kind of the same thing that other coaches have said that you know he was like, You know, Smitty, I love you. Like you, you did great. You, you, you know, I, I've had four fights and two exhibition games and they're against guys that I had already fought before, guys like Mishiak and, and, and so on. And, and, um, you did well in your fights, but you, you just, I need more. And I remember getting released from camp. I was the last cut and, uh, went home and figured that's it. It's all over. And, uh, and, Near the very end of the season, I get a call from Steve Carlson, the coach of Johnstown, the Hanson brothers yep. from the movie Slapshot, legend. And I and I took the call, and and he said, uh, you know, Smitty, you know, I I remember you from last year, and I and I and I know that you went to Cincinnati's camp, and I and I heard you had a couple of decent bouts, and what have you been doing since then? You know, now it's like three months later. And I said, nothing, you know, I'm not playing any more hockey. I figured it's over. And he said, well, listen, I got like 12 games left and we're not in the playoffs. We're not going to make it. And my tough guy, I believe at the time was um, Rick Boyd. Yep. And I think Rick Boyd, I think Rick Boyd at the time, i got called up. I think he was up in the IHL maybe or the American league and so we needed a tough guy, and he said, I would love to have you come in for the last handful of games and kick the shit out of a couple of guys that have been fucking with us all year. And I said, you got it. And uh, he flew me down, and I remember sitting in his office, and it was, like, surreal to see him in person and, and envision him in the movie, yet now he's right in front of me. Uh, and you're in Jonstown. Adam and Johnstown, right, where the movie was filmed and, and you know, and the history the history of that uh, rank, is it the war? The War Memorial, yep. Yeah. And um, and I remember he just said to me flat, he goes, listen, um, I'm, you're not here to play hockey, and uh, and I know you know that, and I'm going to just put you out against guys that I fucking can't stand and I want you to go after them and I want you to kick their asses. And that's as simple as it can be. and And it was like giving a dog a bone. It couldn't get any easier for me. And uh, I remember in practices in the mornings, uh, he used to work with me a little bit on my balance and work with me on punching. And, I mean, he was fucking great. He was the best coach ever. I loved him.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, and like you said, you played three games, 29 minutes. Uh, 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 Who was it, though? Who would you – was it – it was Misiak again, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, he ended up fighting Misiak. Um, I mean, we we were – you know, funny thing, like Mishiak and I, like a couple of other guys, like I mentioned, like Ottenbright and, and some other guys, I mean, off the ice, we were all friendly towards each other. Like I used to talk to Mishiak all the time. He was a mirror image of me. He wanted to fight, and he knew fighting was his only ticket out of there. And, um, and we had great respect for each other. And, uh, and in that particular game that I played in Johnstown, Um, I remember skating down the wing going back into my zone and, um, and I remember hearing him yelling, Smitty, are you ready? Smitty, are you ready? And I remember kind of turning to him and just throwing my gloves off real quick and grabbing him and starting to throw punches. And then I realized that he kind of like, he didn't turtle, but he kind of like bent over and never dropped his gloves or stick. And I was like, I know you just challenged me. Like, I know I heard you just yelling my name out, but I look like I kind of jumped him. And I still watch that video once in a while. It's on YouTube. And I kind of felt like a douchebag
0: when it was over
1: because I had respect for that guy. And I remember talking to him about it after the game. And he said, no, I was yelling at you. But I just didn't think you were going to turn on me that fast. I just thought I had more time. And I was like, "Well, I'm sorry, dude. I didn't mean to jump you like that. But you know, I always was the type of guy that I want a square off. I don't want to be in tight anyway, so that was uncharacteristic for me. But I had great respect for the guy, like I said, and and God rest his soul, I know he's passed on. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Um, Well, so you played the three games there at the end, and um, did you then? Did then did you go to New Brunswick?
1: That was the following year.
0: Yeah, like they had you listed on Elite as do as. Being there for two years, but it seemed like it was at the end of the year. But okay, so it was the next year. When so the following year, did you sort of have the expectations of, of like Carlson bringing you back, like to johnstown or did you have any expectations at all at this point?
1: I had no expectations of anything. Um, I did have a buddy of mine who was an agent, and I did ask him to try to get me into a camp somewhere. And it wasn't—I wasn't dreaming. Like I wasn't saying, "Hey, get me in the Bruins camp or get me in the American League." I mean, I knew the East Coast League was my league because of my ability, and I was happy with it. And uh, I remember him saying to me later on, "You know, no one's really interested right now, where they got tough guys that they're, you know, going to run with for the for the time being." And and I remember getting a call from a friend of mine who's a scout. And he said to me, hey, I got a league that you can go to. I can get you in it. And I said, what league is that? He goes, it's up in Canada. It's a Canadian league. It's all Canadians. You're going to be the only import. You're going to be the only American in this league. You want to fight? You're going to get fights up the ass because they're all going to want to kill you because you're an import. And I said, wow, I'll take it. And I remember going, remember flying up to Moncton, New Brunswick, and getting picked up by whoever it was who was like the uh, assistant coach for the Miramichi Gagnon Packers in the Men's New Brunswick Senior League. And uh, you talk about the Wild West. I mean, it was crazy. Um, like the East Coast League, in a sense, every team had tough guys. They were all like French-Canadian tough guys. Some guys had some experience. Some guys played in the American League. Some guys played in the IHL, and some guys were like me. They were kind of brand new, looking to make a name for themselves. But the bottom line was, every night, and I always laugh and say this because someone quoted this in a in in an article. Every night, somebody wants to try Yankee Doodle. (laughs) They used to call me (laughs) Yankee Doodle because that was from America. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say. But it was
0: great. As the lone American, you'd have heat. Oh yeah, they wouldn't. They would not. Yeah. Dig, they
1: wouldn't dig you showing up. No, uh, no, they would gut it for me. Never yeah. mind the fact that I wanted to fight. I was looking to fight. I wasn't trying to make my name. Listen, if I was like a, a hockey player and a goal scorer, you know what would happen? They would just run me out of the game. They'd run me out of the league. They'd just body check me and cheap shot me and fuck with me until I finally quit because this is their league. They don't want me up there. But that wasn't the case. I was up there to be a tough guy and to be a fighter. And so I was taking on and challenging every team's tough guy every night of the week. And, and that league and that um, team I played for, I had the most majors I ever had for any team I ever played in. Because every night someone wanted me. They were trying to drive me out.
0: <laughs> well, wow, like you said, and especially those senior leagues at the time, because that's very reminiscent of like the old Republican League, and and really a precursor, yeah. a re, a precursor to the LNAH, really, and the Quebec League. Really, it was you know, yep.
1: and I mean, you get the small yeah, towns, and a lot of those, yeah, and a lot of those guys that were in that federal league were still holdovers into this New Brunswick League. There were still guys playing there. Yep. You know, and it was crazy. Like, I, I didn't get to play against the Roberts brothers, but I know they were in that league. It was nuts.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. And it's, and like you said, and it's, and they, they're, those Maritimers are tough, man. And, uh, the small towns. And like you said, they're out there on a Friday and Saturday night, and it's our town versus your town, and our guy's going to kick your guys' ass. And, uh, they must have loved
1: you in Miramichi. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, um, I, no one knew me of course and um and listen I'm not like the biggest guy I mean I'm like 62 230 235 and uh listen I'm I'm certainly no runway model like my face doesn't look like I belong on the cover of a magazine but I'm certainly not like a mean looking tough guy either I think a lot of people took me you know at the beginning like this guy doesn't look tough at all like he's going to get fucking killed up here and, um, I, I, did okay in the majority of my fights. So I did, you know, I lost a couple, but, uh, you know, I did okay. And, um, and I had a big, I had a, I had a guy on my team and we'll throw his name out, I'm sure, but I had a guy on my team who really took me under his wing and helped me out. His name was Jacques Mayotte and, and Jacques Mayotte played in the NHL and the American League and that federal league. and, and, and Jacques knew every one of these tough guys. And he would coach me a little bit, and he would help me, and, and he would tell me, "Listen, you're not ready for this particular guy, so stay away from him. He'll kill you. He'll beat you outright." Or this guy over here is better suited for you. And and I, you know, and I appreciated his input because he was trying to help me. And uh, and and I, you know, there was definitely a little bond there between us. And trust me, I uh, looked up to the guy and respected him wholeheartedly because of it.
0: Well, like you said, the mailman, I mean, the guy's an absolute legend, minor league legend. And, um, yeah. And it, it always kind of struck me odd. What did he ever, why was he in New Brunswick? Like, why was he in that league? Like, I don't understand. He was
1: like, in between. Yeah. He was in between the American league. And, um, I think what had happened was, um, he got released from American league team and had nowhere to go at the time. And so wanted to obviously keep his skill and keep playing and, um, he was definitely not there to fight. I mean, he just wanted to play hockey and and, and keep in shape uh, while he tried to get onto another team. And I believe he ended up getting called up to either Fredericton or Moncton. Um, so he was with us for a while, but um, he ended up having a couple of scraps against some other respected tough guys that he had fought years and years earlier. It was just like it was inevitable that he was going to fight these guys because, you know, he wanted them probably as much as they wanted him. And, um, you know, but he was a, uh, he was a great teammate. Like I'll never forget him.
0: Well, and like you said, and for for a guy in your position to have somebody um, of that stature uh, to, to learn from, I mean, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean,
1: it, you know. Right. And it's, it's uh... and I, and, I, and I'm sure I'm sure he watched me and looked at me and, and probably just laughed and said, "Listen, you know, this kid's so brand new, he's terrible, but I'll help him. I'll I'll just try to give him as much advice and coaching as I can. Hopefully, he doesn't lose his teeth. But you know, I think he, I think over time he kind of respected my willingness to drop the gloves against everybody and anybody. Um, but you know, again, sometimes I was over my head. Yeah, well, so you you played the season there,
0: um, you know 23, 23 games, and then you know seven in the playoffs, and uh, um, you know what, what what did you think? I've never I've, I've always wanted to go out to the Maritimes. I'm I'm, I'm dying to get out there. What how did you uh, how did you enjoy
1: uh, Miramichi? Well, I mean, kind of like Winston Salem, the fans really took me in as like family. From my understanding, years prior, the Miramichi was always a very skilled hockey team. Yet when they would get to the playoffs and challenge for the Allen Cup, they would get the shit kicked out of them. You know, they would face a team that had, you know, the Roberge brothers, or they would face a team that had, you know, Rene Labbe and and Mark Roy and some other noted tough guys from that league, Jerry Fleming. And, And these tough guys would just fucking hammer. The skilled players, like just run them through the boards and end up winning the series because they just cripple you. And so Miramichi finally decided to get a tough guy. And I ended up being that tough guy at the beginning of the year. And then I'd say like a dozen games or so, maybe a little bit more is when we ended up picking up the mailman. And uh, we made for a great one-two punch because he was certainly – uh, reputable, super heavyweight in that league. And no one was going to fuck with him, you know, for the most part. And uh, and I was kind of like just the regular heavyweight picking up the scraps, you know, it was great.
0: <laughs> well, af- after you wind up, uh, you know, finishing up there in the Maritimes and you head home, um, that's sort of it until, the, of course, the infamous kind of Moncton game. Um, did you uh, – did- at that point, was it time to kind of get on with things? and uh, or, or were you still
1: chasing the hockey? No, I, I knew after that it was over. Like, I could just sense that was just the way it was. Um, you know, I'm not getting any calls from the East Coast League. And, you know, I just fought my ass off in the men's New Brunswick Senior League. I probably had like fucking 30 fights, for Christ's sakes, in 20-something games or however games I played. I mean, I was fighting literally every single night. It was insane. Um, I just knew it was over. Like I just could sense it. I didn't want it to be over. Like I loved that role, and I, I certainly wanted to keep pushing on. But I could. The writing was on the wall. You know, it, it really came down to the fact that I started late and my skating sucked. And and that was the just that was what I heard from everybody. Um, so I kind of gave it up, and I started. Pers- to pursue a career um, as a police officer, I ended up being a cop in my in my hometown. And uh, and like you said, it was a number of years later where I got a call from Moncton, and um, it was a friend of mine who was a scout who called me up and said, um, "Have you been skating? Are you in any any type of shape?" And I said, "Yeah, a little bit. Like I play I play pickup hockey a little bit, but you know why? What's going on?" And he said, I have an opportunity for you. The Moncton Hawks in the American League, their tough guy, Kevin McClellan, Stanley Cup winning champion Kevin McClellan is in Moncton, but he's injured and he can't play this weekend. And they have a really tough game Saturday night against the um, Toronto Maple Leafs farm team where they've got like three legitimate heavyweights and Moncton has nobody. Do you want to go to that game and, and play i can get you in and i was like oh my god you're kidding me american hockey league i mean that's like real pro that's like east Coast league is like okay that's pro it's considered pro but it's the bottom of the barrel i mean the american hockey league is the second best hockey league in the world and i said to the guy I said you know what i'm going for it i said yeah tell the coach i'll, I'll take that job if it's offered to me i'll, I'll take it and this was like you know maybe a week before the actual game itself. So they had already been sniffing around to try to get somebody up. And I was the best they could come up with, if you can believe that. <laughs> well, did, you, did like did you know
0: right away that it was by Lois that you were going to take on?
1: You know what? I had no idea who the team was. I had no idea because I kind of had fallen out of touch with hockey for a little while. And, didn't really follow the leagues and the tough guys. So I I was kind of out of touch. And um, the other issue I had that a lot of people didn't know was that about a week before this phone call, I had gone in and had surgery. I had a big cyst that had grown uh, in my chest area over by my armpit. And um, it had to be taken out surgically. Cut out, and it wasn't cancerous or anything like that, but it was just you know something that needed to be removed. And so, while I'm talking to this scout, surgery had just happened like uh, three or four days earlier. But I had these drainage bags taped to my side of me with these tubes that were going inside to the pocket where that cyst had been removed, and it was draining the excess fluid and blood into this drainage bag that was taped to my side, my ribcage. And I remember calling Adam and saying, Adam, I just got a call from Moncton in the American League. They want me to come play Saturday night and fight. And I just had surgery like four days ago. I got this stupid bag taped to my side. And Adam was like all over me like a fly on shit. You have to say yes. You have to go to this. Like you know, this is the same guy that encouraged me to fight Aubrey, who was my teammate and my line mate during a free agent camp. So you know, Adam's already crazy. I mean, you know that he's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's telling me you can't say no. Fuck your surgery. You'll be fine. I said, Adam, I haven't had a hockey fight in like two years. You'll do fine. You can't say no to this opportunity. It's the American Hockey League. And I and I agreed with him. I said, you know what? You're right. And uh, and I said yes to the uh, opportunity, and I went up there and I fought.
0: Well, he's the, he's the devil on your shoulder, right? It, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I had, and he was playing for Moncton that night on my show, Frank Kovacs. I had him on my show a while back, and I interviewed him. Frank, I know you're listening. Hope you're doing good. Fellow cop in Regina, and he played for Moncton yeah. when you were there. And I asked him yep. on the, in the interview, I'm like, you remember when Doug showed up and he's like, Oh, do I? And he goes, hell yeah, I do. And they, they were all just looking at you. And he goes, I remember we were just looking at him like, what's this Yankee thinking? Like, what, you, by Lois, are you for real? Like, all right, dude, go for it. And they couldn't believe it. They were just like, look at this fucking guy, you know, and, uh, Hey man, it's the like. Did you know Lois? Like, once you got there and you look and you're looking at this guy, like, do you
1: have any idea who Frank Bielowicz was? So what I did was uh, like a couple of days. Once I committed and I and I and I confirmed that I was going to be coming up, um, I really started to do a lot of homework quick on that team. Who's who? Who's on this um, Maple Leafs team? And they had three tough guys. They had Bielowicz. They had Todd Gillingham. And they had Ryan Vandenbush. And um, and so I watched all of them. And I, I watched some of their fights. And I, and I really did a lot of homework trying to figure out who's a lefty, who's a righty. And, you know, just the best you could, you know, in, in such a short notice. And um, I'm flying up to Moncton out of Boston, Logan Airport. And who's on the same plane as me? The captain of the Moncton Hawks. His name is Andy Brickley. Andy played for the Boston Bruins in the NHL and had been sent down to rehab an injury. And he was in Moncton doing rehab. So I sat with Andy on the plane. And he told me all about Moncton and the team and the team I'm going to play against. And Andy said to me, listen, if you haven't played in a long time and you haven't fought for a while, I'm just going to tell you, if you're going to challenge Gillingham or v- Bush, good luck to you. But do not challenge Bayer Lois because he's the heavyweight champion of the league. In fact, he just got sent down. He was up with Toronto, and I think he fought guys like Tony Twist and Tim Hunter. And he just got sent down to the minors like maybe a week ago. And I'm sure he's not too happy about that. And he's going to have this nobody like you challenge him. He's going to eat you up. <laughs> he said, just stay away from him. So I get to the rink and it's the morning skate and, and I meet up with Kevin McClellan and he was great. Took me under his wing, uh, let me sit in his locker stall to get, you know, dressed for the game and the practice and all that and let me wear his gloves because they were all broken in. Didn't want me to wear brand new stiff gloves and, Um, I wore his pants, um, you know, really took me under his wing. Like I said, he was a great, great guy. And he kind of mimicked the same things that Brickley did. He said, listen, Smitty, stay away from Bayer Lois. Even I have a hard time with him because he's that good. Look for somebody else. Um, you know, if you have to fight and, um, you know, if Bayer Lois is out running around and you've got to answer the bell, then so be it. But don't go looking for it. Well, that's kind of what happened in the beginning, to be honest with you, because my first shift of the game, I lined up against Vandenbush. And I challenged Vandenbush. And Vandenbush looked at me, and he was like, who the fuck are you? He goes, you're going home tomorrow. not wasting my time with you. And I remember Gillingham skated over to me and gave me a cross-check on the side. Like, I didn't see him coming. He kind of cross-checked me on the side. And he was like, what's your fucking problem? And I was like, fuck you. Let's fucking go. And then I gonna taking my stick and getting it, like, in between his legs and kind of give him a pull from behind the knee with my blade and my stick, like, to say, let's go. And he was like, fuck you, and skated away. So I, I kind of got to challenge both of those guys, but they didn't know me, and they're not wasting their time with me. Like, and I get that. They weren't afraid of me. Let's not make that out at all. They weren't afraid of me, but they weren't certainly wasting their time with me. Well, the game was fine. There was no problem with the game. It was a calm game. There was no bullshit. There were no cheap hits. There were no cheap shots. But the coach throws me out in the second period, and I line up next to Bayer Lois. And don't ask me why, but I just looked at him and I said, hey, you're going to give me a shot at the title? I hear you're the champ of the league. And he just looked at me and he smiled. And he said, keep it clean. That's all he said, keep it clean, meaning like, you know, don't gouge my eyes, don't pull my hair, don't be a cheap prick, just keep it clean, and I'll give you a shot. Well, I got my shot, we squared off, and um, I started off maybe throwing maybe three or four right hands while he also threw three or four right hands, and then I lost my grip on his right bicep, and he was able to really just throw freely, and he connected with like four or five solid shots, especially an uppercut. He threw an uppercut. I'm telling you, my head almost went into the snack bar. It just took off. And I didn't go down, but I certainly got cut really bad. He cut me over the eye for like 10 or 11 stitches. But like Adam always said, and I agreed with him, that was the most glorious time of my life because I just fought the heavyweight champ and the second-best league in the world, and a few years later, earlier I should say, a few years earlier, I was skating on a pond. I mean, what a dream come true! Regardless of I winning or losing, I made it.
0: Absolutely, no, absolutely, and uh, well, and uh, I know you're always big on on like obviously keeping your jerseys. When, <laughs> what afterwards, when you're like, I. Did anybody, like when you played the like the game in Moncton here and in Phoenix and Springfield and you're just the one games and you're like, yeah, just as long as I get my jersey, were they just like, what the fuck? Yeah, all right.
1: You know, my first year in North Carolina, at the end of the year, I remember them saying to us, if you guys want to keep your jerseys, you can keep your jerseys. And I remember like almost every single guy took their jersey and just threw it in the laundry and said, fuck, I'm not, I don't I what the fuck do I want this thing for. And I remember taking both of my jerseys, the home and the away. And I remember bringing them home. And I remember I gave one to Adam. I gave him the away jersey, and I kept the home jersey. And Adam always said, if you ever play again, you've got to keep your jerseys because that's like memory for you. Like, that's that's a big deal to keep your actual game-worn jerseys. So... I had it in my mind, I had it in my head that every team I went to, I tried to get my jersey. Even the teams I went to, like the Cincinnati Cyclones, I only went to camp. I got cut out of camp, but I kept my jersey, the one that I wore in those two exhibition games. I had all my fights, and they gave it to me. They let me have it. And, yeah, I'm sure teams thought I was fucking out of my mind, walking out the door saying, hey, by the way, can I have my jersey or can I buy it from you? And every single team I played with, seven, eight teams, they all gave me my jerseys, including Monkin. That jersey was covered in blood. And I asked the coach at the end of the night, I said, you know, as we're shaking hands, saying goodbye, and I'm leaving the rink at the end of the game, I said, Coach, any chance I can get my jersey? He goes, What do you mean? I go, Can I have that jersey? I'm never coming back here again, and I'm never going to get another game in the American Hockey League. Can I have that jersey? And he walked in the trainer's room and grabbed it, tossed it to me. He said, "Good job, Smitty. I'll see you later." Imagine that. So, I mean, what a way to walk in and then walk out. Tremendous.
0: Did uh was tremendous. What, after the fight with Bylow, you're in the room with the what'd the boys.
1: Say after. They're just, uh, like... I mean, listen. It was one of those things where everybody knew I was going to get fucking murdered. I mean, everyone knew it. I'm going to get. I'm I'm like the lamb that's being served up to the wolves, but. Let's face it, nobody on that fucking bench wants to fight by Lois. And here's this nobody showing up to do that job so that you guys don't have to. And trust me when I tell you, I still am friends with and talk to guys to this day who are on that bench who will always say, Smitty, we loved you that night. We knew you were in deep, but we loved you because... Nobody else had the balls to do what you did. No one. No one in their right mind was challenging by Lois. But I didn't know who the fuck he was, so I was ignorant. And I was naive, and I was just chasing my dream, too. Yeah.
0: Well, you played a few more games over the You played a year. The next, the next season, you played with the Phoenix Roadrunners and the IHL. You played a game there. Robbie, yeah, uh, I get the Phoenix. Robbie Laird I the, brought you I
1: in. Yeah, I get to play there because I believe uh, Robbie Laird was the coach in Moncton. So he knew I was a fucking hammerhead. Like, I didn't care who I was going to fight. And he was now out in Phoenix with the Roadrunners, and he needed somebody for a weekend. And he was like, Smitty, you want to come out and play again? And I was like, yeah, of course I do, coach. And he brought me out, and I played for a weekend. I played – uh well, I was – you know what? I played – I. I don't get credit for it, but I was on the bench for three games. Um, two games against the Las Vegas Thunder, who had all kinds of tough guys. Jim Kite, Kerry Toporowski, Gary Goulash, uh, a couple of other tough guys. I'm, I'm, I'm losing train of thought on who they were. And I was like, whoa, I'm going to get really killed this time. Like, I'm going to get murdered. And like, Skating warm-ups, I remember looking at Jim Kite. I mean, he was huge. He was so tall. And I saw him fight all kinds of guys in the NHL. I fought, you know, he fought every heavyweight in the NHL. He was super tough. And then, of course, there was Kerry Toporowski. I mean, there's nobody in hockey who's tougher looking than that motherfucker. He was scary looking. Like, he was really tough looking. And I knew he could fight. And I knew he was a lefty. And, um... And I was kind of like, I was like an insurance policy for Robbie Laird on the bench. Like, I was there in case shit happened, but shit never happened. So I never really got out. Like, I never got on the ice. Now, the first game, we had almost a bench brawl with each other because what happened was, The benches were on the same side of the ice with each other. They weren't on opposite sides of the ice. Each team's bench was next to each other with a simple piece of plexiglass in between us. Well, I was standing at the very end of the bench for us, which was at the beginning of their bench. Well, so was in Toporowski. And we were mouthing off to each other. And we started swinging sticks at each other. And we were trying to punch each other around the glass. And we almost, both of us almost came off the bench to fight each other. Um, it never happened. And I believe I ended up getting, like, a, I think we both got penalties for it. Um, I forget how it went down. I forget what the refs did. I think they called penalties on us. But anyway, um, we never got out against each other. We never fought. And let me tell you something. Like, I know how good and I know how tough by Lois was. I have to tell you, honestly, I think, I think, Poporowski was even tougher. Like, he was fucking really scary tough. And um, I'm grateful I never had to fight him. <laughs> um, because I was totally out of my league. And there was no chance I was going to fight Jim Kite. Like, he was way out of my league, you know? So I was within my my mindset. I was there to do the job if needed. But I certainly had my doubts because I understood the level of competition was not where I was at. And the other game that I was on the bench for was Kansas City, and they had some wacko called Kevin Evans yeah. who was out of his mind. And he was a small little kid, but he was nuts. And um, he ended up not being in the lineup that night. So I kind of lucked out and didn't have to, I didn't have to fight that maniac either. Well, they had Dodie Wood too. <laughs> yeah, he was out too, and I do remember Dodie Wood, especially when he got called up uh, to the NHL. He exploded onto the
0: NHL. Yeah, just a little guy of San Jose. But yeah, he was uh Yeah. Man, you would you and Topper, that would have been something. I forgot. That's right. I forgot your book. Yeah, you got into it with him on the bench. Uh well yeah, the stories of Topperowski, that guy's just legendary
1: stories about the the yep. craziness that he did over the years. Yeah. But I mean certainly he could back it up. I mean you watched no. all his fights. He was really tough. He was a good fighter. And uh, he's a big guy too. I mean, you know, he had he had he had all the uh you know, physical ability to be a real tough guy. And again, let's let's bring up his name. He's kind of like a Lois Like, I don't understand how, why, whether it's business, politics or whatnot, just bad luck, I don't know. But how doesn't Bialois stay in the NHL? How doesn't Toporowski make it to the NHL? He kicked everyone's ass. Like, how doesn't he, how doesn't he get up? It's crazy. And I feel bad for those guys because they get fucked.
0: Yep. Yeah, it, it, well, it, that's the thing, right? It just goes to show you, like, it's, it's not a toughness issue. It's just all timing, and if somebody likes you in the right position and can get you in. And yeah. But, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, oh, it's lo-
1: definitely.
0: you know, like, well, like a guy like Mel Engelstad, how does that guy not get NHL time? You know, like right. Steve, Steve McLaren, you know, like, I mean, right. I know they got McLaren got a little bit, and Mel got the two games or whatever, but you know what I'm saying. Like a regular. Yeah. and listen,
1: I, yeah, and I, and I can flip that coin, and I can say the same thing for Doug Smith. Doug Smith got in through politics because he knew people who opened the door for him. He didn't belong there. He didn't belong anywhere, not even the East Coast League. So, yeah, I get how politics work. But, again, I mean, let's face it, those guys would, you know, they deserved at least a cup of coffee in the show.
0: Well, yeah, just, you know, get some NHL money for a little bit. Yeah, they definitely earned it, you know, and, uh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. And you live your dream. You live your dream. You made it. Get your name in the book, right? Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, but uh,
0: well, another game that's ninety four, ninety five. You played a game with Phoenix. You also played a game with Springfield, and I know you had a little run in with the with a a guy named Dennis the Menace Bonvie, and uh, and I'm looking over, and I have the signed picture right here from you that says he was all show and (laughs) no go.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, again like another another uh, just out of a blue phone call from someone I knew in hockey who said, Hey, Springfield in the American league is looking for someone to fight. They're looking for a tough guy this weekend. Are you available? And I said, I haven't played in a year. I haven't fought in a year, but of course I'm going to say, yes, I'll take it. I'll go hit the heavy bag in the gym for a, a day or two and get my momentum. And then I'll show up and think I, I can beat anybody. But, um, yeah, it was against the Cape Breton Oilers, and they had Dennis Bondy. Like, the, the guy had, like, fucking 500 penalty minutes. He fought everybody. Um, not the biggest guy, but really super tough. Yep. And could throw with both hands, had a fucking granite jaw, could take a serious punch. And, um, I mean, was just tearing through the American Hockey League. And, um, you know, I certainly did some homework on him um, a couple of days prior to going to Springfield. <clears throat> and uh, he was tough to figure out because he was so versatile. He wasn't just a lefty or just a righty. And, you know, every single fight I saw in him, he did something different to get the win. Like He didn't lose too many. and uh, And I remember the first shift I got, I lined up against him. And I remember, you know, saying to him, hey, you know, you want to go. And I remember him like laughing, like looking at me going, Who are you? And I said, Uh, I go like this. I go, Uh, Doug Smith, I just skated on Hackett's Pond a couple of years ago. <laughs> and we actually like laughed at each other, like laughed, like for real. Like there wasn't like an intimidation factor or like an intensity, like I just challenged you to a fight. Like we actually just let our guard down for a minute and had a laugh. And he kind of knew. Already who I was, like he knew I was a call up, a nobody. And uh, and we squared off. And uh, like I'm talking like a blink of an eye before we grabbed each other. The fucking linesman jumped in and broke it up. So we never got to go. And um, I forget if the ref gave us five for fighting or just a couple of minors. I forget. But uh, we're in the box. And I said to him, hey, give me a go out of the box. And uh, he said, yeah, okay. And uh, we got out of the box, and I drop my gloves and go at him. And he skated away. And I got a penalty for that, and he didn't. And they scored on the power play. Uh. <laughs> and that was the end of Doug Smith. I didn't get another shift the rest of the night. Now, I wasn't in the doghouse so much because at least my coach and my teammates knew I challenged that guy twice, the guy that nobody else wants to fight. So they know I'm going to do my job, but I didn't get another shift for whatever reason, and that was it. Yeah, crazy, huh? Yeah.
0: no, oh, Dennis. Yeah, that would have been a good one to have on the resume, too. Well, that's weird. Like, it's, oh. I mean, you see the refs jumping in now like it's, you know. But, I mean, mid-'90s American Hockey League, and you're breaking up a fight between Dennis Bond and a guy? Like, man, come on you know?
1: Yep, believe me, I was was just as shocked as you were, trust me, because I I didn't expect it, you know?
0: Was he, now, like, when you guys were squaring, I mean, I know it's a long time ago and whatever, but I mean, when you guys were squaring off, was he sort of, like, fucking around? Like, was he sort of backing away and, like, making a show of it, or was it, like, did they really just get in way too fast?
1: Yeah, no, we definitely had it, we had a good square off, and we both stood right there in front of each other, and no one was backing up, no one was we just kind of circled a little bit. No one backed up, just circled. And uh, just as we both kind of went at each other to reach in and make our grabs is when both linesmen literally just grabbed each of us and it was over. And I was like, wow, what the fuck? I mean, we were, we were within a finger of each other grabbing our jerseys. Yeah. It was kind of a bummer. Yeah. You know, like all those other, uh, all those other names, including Bonvie. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, Great resume builders, you know, whether it was Vandebush, Bayaloas, Toporowski, Kite. I mean, I had an opportunity. It, it almost came true on some of them. And then it'd be incredible to have to say that I did it.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, yeah, that's pretty wild. Well, I know it's a couple, well, it, again, we go a few more years. It's 97, 98, and the Louisiana ice skaters now are coming, come calling. <laughs> and you play with Doug Shedden as the coach, and he gives you a couple. It gives you a call, play a couple games. They had a pretty tough team, actually. How did
1: you end up in uh, Louisiana? I wound up in Louisiana because I had a friend of mine from the area. Uh, his name is Donnie Parsons, uh, really, really good, skilled hockey player. Uh, played a very long time in the pro level. And, uh, and he and I were friends. We, we grew up in the next town across from each other and we played summer hockey together and stuff. <clears throat> and I remember him calling me saying, Hey, you know, would you ever consider coming here? I, I know you haven't played hockey for a while, but we have like a weekend series against a pretty tough team. And, um, you know, we don't really have anybody to play, you know, the tough guy role. You know, if, if I talked to the coach, would you come down? You know, if they, if they, you know, paid you and flew you in and all that shit. And I said, yeah, why not? I mean, you know, I probably haven't played for a few years, but, I'll, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Why not? And uh, so, yeah, he got me in there. And uh, and Shedden was a great guy. And he just kind of explained to me, you know, here are the two or three guys that are on that team. They're, they're pretty rugged, tough guys. And, um, you know, if they act up, I'm putting you out. And if they don't act up, then, you know, I understand you haven't played for a while. So kind of like I said earlier, I won't feed you to the Wolves. And um, and I did get a couple of shifts, and nothing really happened on the ice between me and anybody. So it kind of went for naught. Well, I know it's,
0: it's got you listed as having seven penalty minutes.
1: Yeah, you know what? I ended up going with a guy. Um, I'm trying to think of his name right now. I'm drawing a blank. Um, it, I don't think it was Gary Goulash. And I don't think it was another guy. It might've been a guy named possibly named Alex Hicks. Yep. But um, it was one of those things. It was almost like a bond V thing. Um, we kind of, I instigated it and we dropped the gloves. And, and I think as we were grabbing each other, the linesman broke it up. Nothing really happened again, but we got, I got two and five and he got five.
0: Well, there we go. And that, uh, well, yeah, that was funny. yeah, And like you said, you mentioned Don Parsons. I mean, People go look up his stats. Unreal numbers in the East Coast League and in the Central League, like multiple fifty goal years. And that guy was—he was a hell of a talent
1: down in that. league. Yeah, and the longevity—the longevity, the longevity yeah. that he had for a career. I mean, he played for like fucking twenty years. I mean, it was like an Iron Man. Never got hurt. He was just a really durable player. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, and then like while well, that's your final kick, while well, you played one, yeah, and you played one game with Springfield again that year.
1: Yeah, I got one more game in the American League. I called back to Springfield because Frank Bialoas is coming to town. <laughs> Frank Bialoas had since, he had since left the Maple Leafs where I had met him prior and now he's with the Philadelphia organization and Philadelphia is in town to play Springfield and Springfield actually had a tough guy in the lineup who is a reputable heavyweight and played in the NHL a little bit, and his name was Sean Gagnon. Yep. And I don't know if Gagnon, he was in the lineup. He was on the bench with me. I just can only assume maybe prior to the game whether he was injured and really couldn't fight but could still kind of play or maybe said, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't know what was going on. But I got a second shot at going against Bialois, and Lois, uh, and I certainly was not saying no to that. Regardless of the time frame that had gone between me training and getting on the ice and skating, uh, it had been, like, you know, quite a while. Um, I, I I just wanted that rematch, so to speak. And, uh, and maybe I'm an idiot, and, and let's face it, I am – Probably going to tell you outright that if I was a betting man, I would probably put all my money that I would get my ass handed to me again by Bayer Lois like I did in the first fight. But you know, the the fighter and the mentality that I had as a boxer, I just saw it as, listen, I lost round one and I'm getting the opportunity for round two and I want to try it. I want to go for it. And so I took the opportunity. I I dressed again for Springfield. I got my game and I remember lining up against Bayer Lois and I remember Saying to him, hey, are you going to give me a rematch? And I remember we had we had a conversation. There was like a, a timeout on the faceoff, like a, a commercial from the TV. The game was being televised in Springfield. It was like a timeout. And I remember him saying, I can't go tonight. I, I can't go. My hands are all fucked up. I can barely hold the stick. And, you know, I've said this story before. I'm, I'm sure it's from fighting, like punching helmets. And the guy was a fucking warrior. The guy was a beast. and uh he certainly was not afraid of doug smith right i mean let's face it he wasn't afraid of me but uh he was playing injured and he was playing in the lineup because you know that's the type of guy he is but he ended up telling me i can't go tonight i can't fight my hands are fucked up and i just simply said okay no problem and i remember when the puck dropped i literally skated right back to the bench and hopped over the boards and someone else took my spot and i said to the coach he ain't fighting tonight he's hurt he can hardly hold the stick and uh I'm not going to be an asshole and jump them and, and, and make him fight me. Um, you know, we talked about the code earlier, you and I, and and uh, <clears throat> sometimes the code does have to come into play. And and I respected by Lois and, and I, I, you know, used the code. And, uh, hey, even if I didn't use the code and I said, fuck you, you're going, I want my rematch, he probably still would have beaten me with one good hand. But regardless, um, you know, it was just another game on my resume in the American League, and I could say that I at least challenged another tough guy.
0: That's a hell of a, man, that was a hell of a journey. That's, uh, that's an unbelievable uh, story. And, well, here we go to the next chapter here. It's so unbelievable. A book is written about it. And, you, of course, you've mentioned Adam here. Um, this
1: whole time, was it when, when did he
0: bring the idea of writing a book to you?
1: You know, I think maybe the second or third year I was playing hockey. You know, I think I'd already played with Winston-Salem. I got a few games with Johnstown. I think uh, maybe after that season up in the men's league in New Brunswick with all the fight that I had, I think it was around that time where you said, you know, we, we really should write a book because your story is so unbelievable. It, it's so such a fairy tale. I mean, you never started – you didn't skate until you were 20, and you didn't play your first organized hockey game with, like, a referee until you were 22. And now at, like, 23, almost 24, you're playing in the East Coast Hockey League. I mean, that story is so unreal. And we should write a book. And I remember when well, we went back and forth and we talked about it, and I said, listen, I said, if, if you want to write a book, you go right ahead. You know, I'll, I'll try to help you the best I can, and I'll try to – remember and recall incidents and stories and shit and adam said i've already thought about it and i think what i'm going to do is to add to add truth and respectability to the book and your story i'm going to reach out to every single guy you ever fought and ask them about you and ask them about the fights and i'm going to reach out to players and ask them about you and what they thought of you and and I'm going to do it that way, where I'm going to have a lot of quotes from a lot of players who are involved with you directly, and we'll base the book off of that type of stuff. And that's how the ball got rolling.
0: Yeah. Well, then, so the, the finished product comes out, and uh, how how did the book and uh, like when it first came out? How did how did it uh, initially sell? Like, was it was it like
1: what was the what was the reaction to it? So when that book first got published, you know, Adam was the one who wrote it. Adam was the one who called numerous publishing companies asking, you know, would you at least look at our book? Would you at least review it for consideration? And we finally got a publishing company that said, we like, we like what you've put together here. We're going to print it. We'll, we'll run with it. We'll, we'll do everything from here. We'll publish it. We'll distribute it. So on and so forth. And, uh, if you can believe it, the first year that book was out, we had incredible sales. Like it just took off because, you know, you and I know, I mean, back in those days, there, there was like an, an underworld of hockey fight fans, people that loved hockey fighting, the people that bought VHS tapes, the people that burned them and made them. And there were so many people that just loved hockey fighting on any level. And when my book came out, it was all about hockey fighting. And, you know, the title of the book was Goon. And, um, you know, there was a picture on the cover of the book, for those who have never seen it. You know, it was a picture of me with a huge black eye and a big fat lip from getting my face punched in from Frank Bialoas. And um, it made a great cover. And and the sales were actually really incredible. It took off in the United States, and it really did well in Canada. So we had great success with the book, which was just, we never realized it was going to have any type of success, you know? Um, You know, so, I mean, for us personally, we were beyond happy and grateful.
0: No, no, absolutely. And I know you've, it's come out in the second edition, right?
1: Yeah, we wanted to add a few things and we wanted to clean up a few things. um, there were a few things I said in the first chapter that I kind of wanted to change up and Adam had some more stuff that he wanted to add. So yeah, we added some more chapters to the book and we came out with a second edition and um we had no problem whatsoever getting it published because of the, of the success of the first one. Did,
0: did anything you say in the first one, did anybody ever like kind of when they ran into you, be like, Hey, I read your book motherfucker. <laughs> like, did you ever heat with anybody when you ran into them? I'm trying to think. I don't remember you really shit-talking anybody. I don't remember that.
1: You know, I I did some shit-talking to a couple of people. Um, You know, I wasn't too kind to Ron Aubrey, um, and I wanted to clean up some things because years and years had passed. And, and, you know, I wasn't like an asshole hockey fighter anymore. And um, even though I was telling a story of that particular time, I think I just softened up a little bit, and I wanted some things changed, and, and so we did it. It's just as simple as that. You know, there was no need to beat down someone, you know, who's identical to me uh, just because I didn't like the guy, you know. Yeah. So uh, uh, we still kept some sarcasm. We kept some wit to the book itself and uh, tried to keep it as honest as could be, um, you know. So the second edition was just cleaned up a little bit, you know.
0: Well, so now the books, you know, it comes out and it's, um, you've had this great ride. The book comes out and you're on top. You're like, holy shit, this is great. And everything else. Now, all of a sudden there's movie talk. Now, when did this all happen? And like, were you just like, no, like this, there's no, come on. How did that all happen?
1: uh yeah, you, you, you just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, we uh, the book had been out for a while. It book yeah. had been out for like, I don't know, like 10 years. Yeah. And, um, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> Adam got a phone call from the publishing company. And they said to Adam, listen, um, we have a guy who's from Hollywood, basically. And um, they want to meet with you guys. And they want to talk to you because they want to buy the rights to your book because they're interested in making a movie about hockey fighting and the role of the enforcer. And this particular guy read your book and they want to base the movie off your book. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. What? And Adam was like, just as blown away as I was. And uh, yeah, we ended up calling back and we talked to these guys and they, came out here and we met with them and we talked to them and you know the guy was the, the couple of guys on a writing team met us they came to boston and you know the guy said to me listen here's how it all this is how it's going to work because first of all i read your book i saw it in an airport i was on a flight i was in looking for a newspaper or something to read for my flight and i saw the cover of your book and as soon as i saw your face and the title I said, Oh my God, I'm buying this book. I want to read this. And he said, by the time he took off and landed, he finished the book. He said, I finished that book in like four hours. And the second I got off the plane, I was making phone calls to my writing team saying, we need to make a movie about hockey enforcers, hockey fighters, because they're such a huge part of the game on all levels, minor pro pro, you name it. And, um, I just read a book that we can kind of use as a base, a backbone, and we can somehow use this kid, and we'll start doing our own homework. We'll interview other hockey fighters and so on. But let's try to think about writing a script on hockey fighters. And that's how it got rolling. So the guys come out. They meet us. They tell us the story about what their intentions are. And and the guy said, listen, here's how it works you've got to imagine that we buy hundreds of books every year. Every book that comes out is worthy of being a movie. Some are biographies, some are autobiographies, but a lot of good books could make a movie. He says, we buy hundreds of books every year, and they sit on a shelf. and They're never, ever made into a movie. He goes, your book is very specific. First of all, you've got to like hockey. Second of all, you're probably going to be a male, in a particular age group, let's say 18 through 40, you got to like violence because it's going to be about hockey fighting. And so the audience that we're dealing with is dwindling down. This isn't going to be a family movie. This isn't going to be like a Disney movie. It's not going to appeal to all audiences. And we're very limited on the audience. So this book becoming a movie probably isn't going to happen. What I would suggest to you guys is take the money and run sell us the rights to your book if we make the movie we make it if we don't we don't but here's a check for you guys right here right now to buy the rights to your book and who knows what's going to happen so adam and i we agreed we said you know what the book's been out for 10 years we've had our run we agree with you it's probably never going to be made a movie because it's the 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 audience is so small that it's going to appeal to and uh why would you spend so much money making a movie if the return isn't going to be there? Yeah, we'll take your check, and we're going to, you know, say thank you. Well, wouldn't you know it, like five months later, they call us back. Hey, we're going to make the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, fast forward, and, and you know, we're getting phone calls constantly from people who are directors and producers of the movie. You know, we kind of turned out to be like consultants on the on the first movie. And, um, yeah, we were completely blown away that a movie was being made and our book was going to be kind of, you know, highlighted and, and based loosely, so to speak. Yeah, crazy. Wow, well, and, you're, and, you're, and you're getting played by Stifler. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesus, I mean, how can you beat the cast, right? I mean, every guy in that movie has legitimate Hollywood credentials. And, I mean, you know, Lee Schreiber and, and Stifler – who he'll always be known as. I mean, Sean William Scott and, you know, Jay Baruchel. I mean, you go right down the line, they're all big Hollywood names. And, and the people that were involved in the movie, like directors and producers, um, that came together as a unit in a group to put this movie together. They had movies in their past, like the 40 year old virgin knocked up pineapple express. They had a host of movies, um, that they had very good success with. So Adam and I really felt, oh, my God, this movie's going to be big. Like, look at the guys that are involved with this movie. Yeah. Well, so yeah. we really had a,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be any indie film, that's for sure. Like it,
1: uh, Yeah, for sure. Did you yep. get a
0: chance in the first one to go to the set at all?
1: I wasn't involved in that manner on the first one. Um, when the movie was completed, I got a call from... A couple of different people that were involved with the movie, like Jay Baruchel and um, Evan Goldberg, I believe, uh, was someone else that called us, that said, listen, we're going to have the movie premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, and we want you and Adam to come up to it. We want you guys to be here the night it's it's you know shown and uh, be a part of the night, be a part of the event, the release, the premiere. And then me and Adam were like, wow, awesome. So listen, in all seriousness, I can tell you that as I began sitting in the theater that night and the movie started rolling along, I slowly but surely kept slipping and slinking down into my seat like I wanted to hide. Because I took the movie as, here's Stifler playing Doug Glatt, who's supposed to be Doug Smith. What a dipshit. Like, they really made the character out to be a complete idiot. And I kind of took that, like, is this how I'm going to be perceived? Like, are people going to think I'm a complete idiot after watching this movie? People that don't really know me personally? And so I can tell you the first night after I saw that movie, I wasn't, like, thrilled. I was a little taken back by it and almost embarrassed, to be honest with you.
0: Well, that was actually going to be one of my... That's, I got it written right here. That was actually one of my questions. <laughs> and it was funny. Uh, I can't remember when, um, but it was many episodes ago. It was one of my solo episodes. But I had talked about the movie, Goon. And that was one of my biggest pet peeves with it. I said... Cause I mean, the movie had some good lines and it was cool to see it on the screen. And And I know your story and everything. So it was cool. You guys got the payday and and all that stuff and the recognition. That was cool. And I really liked the Ross Ray character. Lee Shriver was awesome in that movie. But it was like, right? I liked him. But I remember saying in my thing, it's like, why did Doug have to be an idiot? Like, I don't understand why they had to make him a dummy. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I know what the Andy, whatever, he's the lovable hero and all that. But it's just like... I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I was like, I don't know why. I wasn't happy that they did that. I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of, it took something away from me anyway.
1: Yeah. And, and I knew, like, I knew going into it without seeing it, I knew it wasn't going to be uh, like the book. Like the book obviously is an autobiography. It's completely real. And I knew it wasn't going to be like that. I certainly knew it wasn't going to be like the Doug Smith story either. They were just stealing not stealing, they bought, but they were gonna just take some some stories and some ideas out of some of the chapters that they read and they were gonna run with it and that's all. Um you know, listen, I know I'm not the sharpest knife in the draw, but again, like I said, after watching that movie and watching the character basically portraying me, yeah, I definitely felt a little awkward. I thought the movie was kind of corny when I first saw it. It was like, Jesus, this is really like shitty, cheap humor. There was like really no seriousness to any part of the movie. It was all comedy and goofy and kind of stupid. And, uh, and uh, like you said earlier, why do they have to make him be such a dope? <laughs> yeah. Because that's reflecting on me
0: well and it was interesting sort of like the Adam character is Jay Baruchel and he's annoying yeah. as shit in the movie I'm like and I know from talking to Adam I'm like well he's like a powerlifting guy he's not that guy like he's not some yeah. wannabe rapper guy like I don't know I just I found I mean I know the point of the character was to be annoying I get it but it was just like what did you and Adam sort of look at each other and be like what the fuck is
1: that like you know we we kind of I don't know. We kind of had this thing where we were split down the middle. Half of the, half half of our feelings were like, "Wow, our book just became a movie. Incredible. Real Hollywood movie. Real actors." But the other half of us was like, "I wish they did it a little different. Just a little different. Like I understand it's Hollywood, and I understand they're looking for a, a way to sell it, and they need some kind of a storyline, and maybe they're going to make it more of a comedy and goofy. And, and I mean, we certainly warmed up to it. But for me, anyway, at the very beginning, I was like, oh, man, I wish it was just a little different. That's all. Did, did you ever say
0: anything to Baruchel or to, like, to, to Sean
1: or anybody? Like, hey, what the fuck? Like, Nope, nope. I mean, my comments were always kept to myself you know, well, my immediate family and my immediate friends. I mean, listen, even with you right now, you're kind of the first person I've really unloaded on saying this shit because I've kind of always just kind of played it off and just gone with the flow. But, uh, you know, and, and I accept it today. Like, I'm, all, I'm cool with it today. You know, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with the sequel. And, uh, you know, there's even talk there could be a third movie Um, because originally the contract, they wanted to have a trilogy of movies. They want to have three of them. Um, And I don't know if it's too late for a third one now or what, but, um, you know, I mean, I'm cool with it now. But at that moment, for a little while, I was definitely a little bumming. I bummed out.
0: Yeah, and it's like, but it was like, you know, it had some good lines. It had some moments, and it was like, yeah, what I mean, it's not like oh, it's the worst movie I've ever seen or anything. It's not nothing like that. But it was like uh, I didn't actually. I always liked the actually the the cafe scene. That's my favorite scene in the whole movie. When, oh yeah, when they're sitting talking, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, everyone loves the soldiers till they come home and stop fighting. That's the best line in the whole movie. Yeah, like <laughs> Ross Ray's awesome, but he's Lee Shriver is awesome in that movie. Um, yeah how how was it and, when, and you just, got,
1: when you got to meet those guys? I was gonna how, say, how, I was yeah. gonna say, I was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say. Let me cut in on you for a second. If you think they're awesome as actors, which they all are, I mean, listen, look at how good Sean William Scott played Doug Glatt. I mean, it's tough to play a dope. It's tough to be that stupid constantly, right? He yeah. did a great job, yeah. and he's and look at how good he is in, uh, uh, you know, the American Pie movies. How, Stifler, I mean, he's really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leif Schreiber and 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 Jay Baruchel, the three of those guys off camera, like just hanging around with them, offset. I'm telling you right now, you couldn't ask for three better guys. They were so cool. They were such regular guys, like none of them felt like or acted like they were above me or they were big deals because they were Hollywood superstars. They were just like me, just regular guys, you know? Let's go get a bite to eat and have a drink and shoot the shit. I'm telling you, you'd be blown away to see what these guys are like off camera. They're super, super guys. Well... So,
0: well, that's tremendous. So you, oh, the Hollywood, you walk the red carpet, we get the movie. This is awesome. Now all of a sudden, they number two is coming out. Are you sort of at this point like, well, and and you're in it this time? Did you know right from the from the get go? Like, did you kind of tell them, like, hey, if you're doing number two, I got to be in this?
1: No, we never said a word about anything like that um, because we knew we kind of didn't have that type of pull, and we didn't have that type of. Uh, You know, I couldn't demand to be in the movie because I kind of, if you remember, I kind of sold my rights back in the day for the book. So um, they were just they were just damn good to me and Adam and they involved us from day one. And uh, yeah, when the second one came around and there was talk about it, um, I remember hearing from one of the guys, one of the directors, uh, one of the people that were writing the script and they sent Adam and I a script. A pre-written script you know like the movie had been written they're gonna they're gonna tweak it a little bit but here's what we got and here's this is what the movie's gonna probably look like here's a script for both of you guys <clears throat> and Doug you specifically uh, we want you to key on pages uh, you know 80 through 95 because we want you in the movie and here are your lines and I was like what and they were like yeah we, we want to have you in the movie we actually wanted you in the first movie but it wouldn't go through because of contractual obligations to the country of Canada. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, we tried to get you in the first movie. But unbeknownst to me, what they did was they took a loan from the country of Canada. Canada gave them money to film this movie. And then they would pay them back when it made its debut and, and and sold. And part of the contract was that you can only employ Canadians. Yeah. Well, of course I'm American. Yeah. Even though I'm even though I'm the basis of the movie, they would not allow me in the movie because I'm American. And okay. and once I was told that, I, I I understood what was going on. The reason I got into the second movie was because they had independent funding. They had other people who anteed up. And said, yeah, I'll I'll donate a million dollars towards this or I'll donate, you know, whatever. And so they had independent funding and maybe loans from other banks, but not from the actual country. So they could put in whoever they wanted. And you saw in the second movie, more Americans in the movie.
0: Well, yeah, and also you're out there and you got Colt Nor and George Peros and Mel Engelstad. And, uh, how was it hanging out? And George LaRock. Well, I guess he was in the first one too, but George LaRock. And uh, how was it uh, hanging out with those guys?
1: Yeah, so when I found out that they really wanted to bolster up this second move and bring in some real legitimate NHL faces, and I remember talking to them about, you know, who do you think? And I remember talking about all those guys, like, listen, I've watched these guys. These are your guys right now who are the most well-known, tough guys. And here's a couple of minor league guys that you might be interested in, too. And sure enough, they got a hold of Colt Noir, who I already knew personally from years prior. Um, they got a hold of Mel Angelstadt. They got a hold of Paros, like you said. La Rock had been in the first movie and uh, when i heard all these different names i was like so excited because here i am i'm going to be in the movie i'm going to be on the set for a week or two and i'm going to get to see all these guys and hang out and it's going to be a fun time and it was because they were all they're all good guys
0: what, yeah well and then of course the second one of course where you're introduced to the new villain and of course it's wyatt russell um who is a legitimate hockey player Um, played junior hockey. I think he was a goalie, actually. Uh, But uh, how was he to hang out with?
1: Yeah, he was a cool guy, too. I mean, listen, let me tell you something. There wasn't one asshole on that set. They were all good guys, and i got to give them credit. I mean, they all gave me, you know, props and and, and, and a pat in the back and and kudos and whatever you want to call it because they all know it was based from my book. And uh and I had um I had the best time because they were so good to me and Adam. They were fantastic to us.
0: Excellent. Well hey, old Saskatoon boy on the show, the coach, Kim Coates from Saskatoon here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's a madman. Like he's a for real madman in real life. Like he's intense. Like when you talk to him, he's like a serious guy. Like he laughs and has a good time but He's like intense when you talk to him, like I could tell, wow, man, you got a real serious side to you. And, um, what a great sense of humor that guy has too. Like he's a funny bastard, but, uh, just another incredible actor. Like think of all the shit he's done in his career acting wise. I mean, he's been everywhere. Totally accomplished.
0: No, absolutely. Well, it, uh, well, like I said, that's, oh man, what a journey, uh, from the, we start near summer league and, uh, all the way to, ma- we're making movies now. And, um, but one of the last things, but I know I've kept you here for a long time. I, will, I won't keep you too much longer, but one of the things. Yeah, I, you,
1: you got you got you got a lot of editing to do because there's no chance all of this is making the show. <laughs>
0: it, all I'm just letting it go, man. It's the extended version. We're, uh,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm letting it go. Yeah, it might be a two-parter. Um, but they, yeah. they, uh, one of the things, of course, uh, at the time I know it was sort of kept under wraps, but I mean, I think the uh, you know the statute of limitations is up now. But was your work with the with the Providence Bruins and the fight and basically a fight coach? Um, and you actually worked with
1: a number of teams, correct? Yeah, I did. I get to work with the Boston Bruins down in the minor leagues in Providence, Rhode Island, in the American League, and uh, you know I got in kind of I just kind of talked to management and said you know you should bring me in and. and And what I'm going to do is I'm going to help your foreign players, your European players, and your college kids and and kind of teach them how to defend themselves. I'm not going to turn them into fighters, but, you know, we've all played North American hockey, and any moment a fight could break out, and if you don't know how to at least hold on and defend yourself, you could get your ass kicked. And we're talking about, you know, players that are draft picks, uh, players that are, you know... A big investment for these teams and they don't want these guys to be hurt they don't want them to be intimidated and scared out on the ice and if you give them a little confidence that they might know how to take care of themselves if the shit hits the fan uh that's a positive and and so that's how i got my job and i worked for the bruins uh pretty exclusively for like eight or nine years and i branched off later and i worked with four or five other nhl teams and Uh, my name got spread around pretty good. Like I was kind of the only guy who was an on ice hockey fight instructor. And I spent many summers with guys either coming to me or paying me to go out to them and get on the ice during the summer and work on their fighting ability. And I'm talking guys that were legit NHL tough guys. So as incredible as the book and the movie were for me personally, that might be the highlight of my overall career in hockey was to be an actual on ice hockey fight instructor.
0: <laughs> well, I know I had Steve, I know Steve McIntyre and I had him on the show and we talked about you you working with McIntyre. Um, I know you worked with Colt Norr and Walsh and um, John Scott. I believe John Scott, correct? Yep. Yep. The um, now was there anybody like when they were there? I mean, say so you're with the Bruins or whatever, and you kind of show up and you're like, Yeah, here I'm gonna well work with you with your fighting. Did they sort of look at you like what? Like was there anybody that wasn't really receptive to it at first? Like they were just like, get away from me. I'm I'm good? Or was it were they pretty pretty uh, receptive right from the word go?
1: I, I think at the pro level, I think every single guy I ever worked with, whether they were a college kid or a European guy I think they truly understood that I was there to help you. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to inconvenience you. Uh, I'm not here to, you know, make your practice an extra half an hour longer and you want to get the fuck out of here, shower up and go play golf. I think everyone knew I was there to literally help them and save their career and save their face if the day ever comes where they have to throw punches at somebody. And uh, I got a very good... Uh, rapport with a lot of guys because of that.
0: Yeah, well, it was just interesting. Like, say, not so much the European guys, but like a McIntyre or a Colt Nor. Like, they're pretty established on a junior, and they're tough guys, and they have their the the way they'll approach fighting, like how they look at it and how they've done it, and they have their thoughts about it. Did they sort yep. of like, um, like, kind of like, who are you?
1: I, like, I, I don't mean uh, that I, like a disrespectful I, way, but it's not. No, like, I, I listen. I, I I hear what you're saying 100% and I'm going to tell you right now, uh, and I don't mean this to be an asshole, but if you can believe it, you're 100% wrong. You're in the wrong ballpark. Those guys loved me. Those guys couldn't wait till I was done working with the college kids and the European guys who were really never, ever going to fight. Hurry up, Doug. Hurry up with those guys, will you? so that we can get together and we can work out. I had some of the most tremendous workouts with all those guys you mentioned, whether it was McIntyre or Brendan Walsh. I mean, I worked with Dennis Bonvy years after I squared off of him. I mean, I had the just an incredible good fortune to be on the ice with some huge names who played in the show, never mind the minor leagues. And um, all of those guys – totally absorbed and respected what I did for them because I was helping their careers. And they'll all tell you that. They might have thought I was out of my mind and I was crazy the first day. But once we got rolling and started doing some workouts, they quickly said to themselves, I'm sure, wow, this guy's the real deal. This is incredible. I've never met anybody like this.
0: No, they did. No, like when I talked to McIntyre, he was nothing but positive and yeah. But he did say, I think the first day, he's like, what is this? You know, what is, who is this guy? <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. you know, but yeah, I know he really enjoyed it. But, uh, no, I was just wondering, like, if, if you had gotten any blowback at all from anybody or, you know, like, um, but, uh, well, no, they like, it was there, uh, well, I know, uh, I, I can't remember what interview it was I heard, but, uh. You had talked about it's one thing, okay, you know, you're out there with the bag, you guys are maybe working on hand position or whatever. But there was some kinda every once in a while you had to, they threw some live rounds. You guys were throwing live rounds a few times from what I hear.
1: Well, what I used to do was I tried to basically incorporate a lot of boxing, which I had a background in, on the ice for fighting. <clears throat> and I used to tell guys if you're going to legitimately fight for a career and fight for a living and try to make it to the NHL from here, like a boxer, a boxer needs to spend a lot of time inside the ring sparring another boxer. You can't just hit a heavy bag. You can't just skip rope and shadow box in a mirror and then think you're pisser and you're going to go win your fights. You're going to get killed. You got to trade shots for real. And that's what we used to do. We used to put headgears on each other like real boxing headgears and we would put boxing gloves on and we would punch each other for real and uh, and i've said it before i mean i've been tagged by a lot of guys and put down on my knees by punches and i've caught guys and buckled them but you're only going to be successful if you train the way you should and that's the only way to train
0: Well, there you go, folks. Um, Well, (laughs) the the story of Doug Smith uh, for the folks here at the fourth line voice uh, podcast that uh, I I really want to. Well, actually, I have one more question. Um, We uh, because I was actually talking about him in a previous episode. Of course, I know, you know, Brandon Tedstone. I do. Of course. Okay. (laughs) well, When he went up to the Quebec League to try out in 2004, did you have any uh, – did you think maybe I should go with him, try it out? Did you
1: have any inclination of going up to the LMH to give it a shot? I, I think for me personally, I was kind of out of it at that point. I had kind of found my niche on the ice as an instructor. You know, I was working with pro players, and I was – and. You know, I always knew I would make a better trainer and a better instructor than I would an actual hockey fighter and a hockey player. So I think I found what I really was best at. And, listen, I had a taste of it. I, I got to go to the East Coast League. I got to go to the IHL. I got to go to the American Hockey League. I mean, that's a dream come true. And uh, I just don't think that league was, for me at that time, because i was just i was a little older and out of the game and uh and, and i i respected um <clears throat> i respected teddy because we you know we live in the uh same area we're close by to each other and um you know he wanted to try to do very similar to what i did back in the day he wanted to try to make it and uh you know we used to get on the ice and work out a little bit together and um I encouraged him to try to live his dream because you only get one shot at it. And whether you win the fights or not, you know, this is your dream, and you got to go for it. So uh, to answer your question, as much as I envied him, I I just wasn't ready to follow up to that league at that time in my life. Well, I just – because I know from being around that
0: league and whatever that, I mean, they would phone everybody to try – and I know – they would have loved to have had Doug Smith up there. They, I'm surprised. I was surprised that somebody hadn't reached out to try to get a hold of
1: you. Yeah, I mean, again, maybe t- too much time had passed, and maybe I wasn't yeah. considered that much. Um, I mean, if it had been earlier in my career, uh, I certainly probably would have looked at that league at least one time to try it. Like I did, go up to that men's league. Yeah, it's the same type of league. Maybe I'd yeah. give it a shot, but I think too much time had gone by, and maybe I just wasn't even considered, so to speak. Well,
0: there we go, folks. Well, the final question, I guess I have to ask you. It's like, uh, I mean, I know you obviously work with the Bruins and, and you know, you have you had a life in hockey, so to speak. Uh, uh, do you, I mean, the game's completely changed now. Do you follow it anymore? or What do you think of today's product?
1: You know, I kind of watch games here and there when there's really nothing else on. Um, honestly, I don't like the game anymore. I don't watch it the way I used to because I used to watch it for a purpose. And I like the rough play, and I like when guys drop the gloves and fight. And that is being eliminated. And um, we're going to see another curve in the game because not everybody, not every team in the NHL has followed the finesse game like they're trying to promote. As we know, there's plenty of teams that still have at least one tough guy, and every once in a while, that tough guy decides to bully or beat up on some team, and I think fighting is going to come back eventually, um, whether it's next year or two years. I mean, I know a team already this this past summer that I spoke to numerous times, an NHL club, their GM reached out to me and said. I am still on the ice teaching guys because I need you to come out here this summer to my team before training camp. And I need you to work with some of my guys because I think fighting is coming back. And a lot of my guys have never fought. So I think it's coming. I really do. I think it's coming back.
0: Well, it's encouraging. We'll see. But I've been in the same boat with you. Like I always tell everybody and it's, and it's true. I don't just say this for the show, but like, I probably haven't watched in over a decade. Like it's just, there's just nothing there. There's no, I don't know. And it's just, uh, you know, not to say like Reeves and those guys aren't tough guys, because they are, but it's just like, I don't know, like you said, it, it's just sort of missing something. The passion's not there. Yeah, there like, there's there's yeah, no emotion. Yeah, like I'll
1: give, you, I'll give you an example. Yeah, like I'll give you an example. Like, so I'm from Boston, so I'll watch the Bruins. And I'll watch the Bruins get pushed around and bullied, and, and there'll be like a really good skilled player like um, Charlie McAvoy for the Bruins is fighting somebody. Because they don't have anybody else to fucking step up and do the job, Charlie McAvoy shouldn't be fighting. So I get frustrated watching games to the point where I turn them off, and I say this is bullshit. So
0: there we are. (laughs) Well, there there you go, folks. That's going to be the most uh, that's the most complete Doug Smith interview you're ever going to hear right here. Well, Doug. I yeah, know, no doubt about that. Yeah. Well, I want to. I really want to appreciate you. I know we've talked back and forth on the internet and whatever, and with the videos and going way back to the old fried chicken fight site days talking to you. But I really want to thank oh, you yeah. for uh, for taking the time out tonight to uh, sit down and, and and talk to my listeners. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, like you said, I mean, we have a, a history with each other that you know, obviously no one knows, but you know, yep. we've been friends a long time and I certainly couldn't say no to sitting with you for a little while and talking because it's more like reminiscing for me than anything. So it's all good. Excellent. Well, I'll uh, I'll let you get back. Well, hey man, you got you got to heal up out there. Hopefully that goes quickly <laughs> for you. Yeah, I just had surgery a couple of weeks ago, and I got a few months of rehab, but I'll be back at it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the summer.
0: Excellent. All right, Doug, well, I'll let you go. Thank you very much for taking the time, and uh,
1: hopefully this isn't the last time. I'd like to get you back on. If you're... Yeah, I mean, if your first-line voice friends all want another shot at it, uh, I'd, I'd field questions. I'd do whatever you want. I mean, I appreciate you having me, and uh, and I like that there's still a fan base, so to speak, for hockey fights.
0: Oh, they're gonna be digging this for sure. They're already uh the guys I was telling that I'm getting you on, they're they're pumped. They sent me some questions and we covered it. So no, it's gonna do well and I think the people will really enjoy it and uh definitely we'll see we'll keep in touch. But uh I'll let you go. Thank you very much, man. Okay, Darren, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man.